0: You're holding me and holding back I don't really care for that Just you There's a pause between every minute Feeling like I need something It's just you
1: in I guess you can assume by this point, and rightfully so, that this is the psychology's dead top 100 matches of 2019 countdown. Brock, I, I'm tired, I'm sick, <laughs> yeah. but we have 100 matches to get to this year. Weird year, some might say bad year. I would say I would say weird more than anything. But Brock, how are you in? Like just how are you feeling going, going into going into doing this show? Well, first of all, I'm a little perturbed you, you didn't refer to me by
2: my proper title, which is as a representative of the strongest division in professional football, the AFC South. Brock, who's your daddy, Yankee? <laughs> okay, I'm not a fan of this big intro. <laughs> no, now. I'm, I'm doing it. The problem the problem is like depending on I'm probably gonna get this out the day of their game,
1: and I'm horrified that they lose. <laughs>
0: Because it's oh,
2: gonna no. it's gonna ruin this bit.
1: Oh yeah. So like I, I'm I'm really conflicted there because like I want to see I just guess because I want to see people, Mahomes do something. Sure. But yeah, I, I, I want I want the bit to, I want the bit to continue. It's
2: it's been a it's been a weird year in the NFL and it's been a weird year here in professional wrestling. Um, one where I thought like I wasn't gonna make it to 100 matches, <laughs> uh, but through the grace of God and I guess beyond wrestling, largely actually, um. I managed to get to 100, and it's like a list that like I don't love everything here, but I, I'm I'm happy with this list all in all.
1: Yeah, that was my main, that was my main takeaway here. Point blank, like the last two years, we've done it 2017, 2018. Going back and looking at my top tens, um, I think 2017 was like literally half of it was New Japan. Sure, I think 2018 was four matches were New Japan, and if you remember the first like the first year that we did this. I actually only had one New Japan to match in my top 10 in 2016, which would want to be my number one in Kenny Omega versus Naito.
2: Was it really only the one? Wow.
1: Yeah, I only had that one. So, like I said, while I I really enjoyed New Japan, obviously, it's like, I don't like having a promotion dominate my top 10 the way they have. So, this was sort of a a return to Mm. having all the, like, variety and uh, other stuff going on in my top 10 that I haven't had going on in a while. So, from that same point, I'm, I'm excited by it, and I think just in general, I have, some, I have some fun stuff that I really liked on here. Not focusing too much on like getting the right stuff on here really makes Because really, I felt last year, I didn't prep as much as I should have. Sure. I think I think I definitely have something that I uh, at least really re- remember something from every from every from every one of these, which is like hard to do. When you're coming up with a hundred matches and like what you're going to say for every single one of these on your list. Absolutely. So before before we get into this. Usually we start off with any blind spots, anything that any any notable omissions, stuff that you wish you could have got to, but didn't, but didn't get to. uh, Anything along those lines for you, Brock? It's interesting. Like um, with this being a year in wrestling that I was really
2: frustrated by, it actually it actually like pushed me to like dig further into things that I knew I liked, uh, as well as things that I had a. had an inclination that i was going to like but i just never got around to looking more into so like for example something that's been a blind spot a lot for me over the years lucha libre is much more represented on this list than it has been in the past um but at the same time like i i never feel that i have enough like joshi wrestling on here um so that's uh outside of sendai girls i I don't think i have anything um, and there's going to be stuff that comes up on your list that we're going to talk about and it's going to be kind of a weird thing, but, uh, outside of that, I don't think there's anything that like, th- like there's definitely stuff that I didn't watch, but it was stuff that like, I knew I shouldn't bother with.
0: Yeah.
1: And that's that's gonna make a difference for you anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm more in the same boat here. I think I maybe wanted to watch a little bit more, uh, Canadian indie stuff just to see if there was like, any, like anything that would have stuck onto my list there, mm-hmm. was, there was there was one that stuck onto my list in like november like november or whatever that i'm that i'm happy with but nothing else that i got around to seeing joshi there's like there's there's stuff on here that i really enjoy but yeah like that's that's another one where i would i could have done to do a little bit more digging into that one and lucha well I, I i'm happier with a lot of the lucha representation that i have on here more than i haven't in the last couple of years yeah that, that that's one where i've where i would have enjoyed to Maybe squeeze a few on here that I didn't, that I didn't, um, in previous, in previous times. Uh, any honorable mention? I want a 101. Anything that, anything that you want to get to? 102. Last second cuts.
2: Uh, 101 we're going to talk about because it's on your list, but, uh, 102, I wanted to give a quick shout out to something, um, that came up on beyond wrestling's uncharted territory series uh, specifically in their discovery gauntlet uh that being a match between dino garcia and christian casanova um like a really quick little thing like two or three minutes long that i think did a phenomenal job of presenting garcia as like this new Top contender in the the rookie space and this discovery gauntlet space, um, continued this story of Christian Casanova being like sort of the unwitting pawn in Club Cam's greater devices. I guess, uh, really got over with the crowd. Like was just like a perfect little match. Like did nothing wrong, knocked my socks off, and really impressed me.
1: I don't think I got I I don't think I got around to seeing that one, but I really do like both of those guys. Yeah. So I also like it's a, it's, a, it's short, so I'll make the time make the time to see that one. Um a few some last some last second cut for last cut for me. I had I Sakimoto and Ryota Hama from from Big Japan in January. I I really enjoyed that one. I, I enjoy seeing Hama get these big title shots and everything. He's not a he's not a guy that gets to do that kind of stuff very often, but when he does like it's a fun unique thing that you don't that you don't get to see a lot in professional wrestling these days and i thought I thought that was great fun, but like you said you're one you're one oh one like I liked more and it was an oversight, so I had to wind up dropping that off to put that onto my list mm-hmm. but with all the pleasantries out the way, Brock are you ready to get to the one hundred I suppose my number one hundred is candy floss versus t k cooper from Riptide deep six. I don't believe I ended up watching this. Candy Floss is a very young wrestler. Uh, has been has been around the uh, English team for some time now. Just by her young age, I think she might have started when she was like fifteen or sixteen years old. But in the in the time since then, she has rapidly grown and has developed into the the in the like, quite a hell of a mat worker to be to be honest with you. Really? Yeah, uh, in a unique way because you don't really see a lot of people of Candy Floss's size that sort of like implement that kind of style. And here she is going up against TK Cooper. TK, you're familiar with it from his time from his time in progress and everything, but TK can be a great bully, great prick heel. He has, some good, he has some good size on him. So what you have here in this riptide match is Candy Floss going after TK Cooper's arm. And TK using a lot of his size and strength advantages to overpower Candy Floss, but Candy Floss keeps fighting. She really determined this is one of this is one of her biggest shots in rip, in Riptide to this point, and TK Cooper has been one of the most established guys in the company. Mm-hmm. It only goes about twelve, fourteen minutes. But it's it's more it's, it's a more effective use of Candy Floss and TK Cooper than I've seen from anywhere else in the world this year. Uh really show TK Cooper's growth. I think he's a guy that definitely got left behind in the in the in the uh in the boom era or the post NXT UK era of the English scene. And he's a guy that, like, with development could have been something, but I think Riptide is now doing just as good a rehab of TK Cooper of anywhere else in the world right now, and there's something that I think you'd really enjoy. Do you have a lot of Riptide on this list? No, this would be the only Riptide match on my list. There was one that I considered, Uh, well, there was two more, Pac versus Kyra Noir I considered, hmm. and I also considered Chuck Mambo versus TK Cooper for this 100 spot. But this is the only Riptide match on my list. I've had some issues with them, but like they seem to have a pretty good year. They they are they are man, especially if it's like you might not like every single thing Riptide does. Yeah, but yeah, but you also kind of have to admire the fact that they're clearly trying to make their own thing, and they're not sort of like tucking their tails behind the idea that like Britt Rass is dead and like you know like just giving up on these things. They see that people kind of got screwed over in the NXT UK stuff. And that a lot of guys were sort of like lost their jobs and their spots and they're rebuilding guys like Mo Ma- like Mamba when TK Cooper, that should have, they should have been guys that progress got behind. But you know, when WWE comes swooping in, like those guys aren't, those guys are high in the um, priority list. All
2: right. So my number 100 was the uh, finals of the scenic city invitational 2019 tournament. It's the Warhorse Jake Parnell taking on O'Shea Edwards, Dino Makabe and AC Mack
1: this this was weird i completely understood and sympathized with the situation they were in but it didn't result in a match that i like nearly as much of my admiration
2: i hear that like there's a lot uh there's a lot about this match that i don't love um i am not really at all a fan of the warhorse like despite the fact that he's super popular uh especially with like our friends like our circle of people the the people that we we tend to agree with on a lot of things um and i recognize that I like the rest of these guys, but I recognize that they can be awkward in some ways, especially in a match like this where, like, a big injury, like, totally derailed a whole lot of things, and, and there was just a lot of confusion surrounding this weekend. Um, So, like, while while there's a lot working against this match, and while, like, the end result is still kind of clunky, I like the framework. Like, I think the, the bones of this thing are still good enough that it delivers um, on something I want to see. It delivers on, like, establishing... Uh, establishing a person i like beating a person who makes me dislike him and like that's i mean that's textbook wrestling stuff and, and i think this match did it really well
1: yeah like it, it did it as well it did, it did like the heel heel face thing and really wanting you to see the baby face overcome the nationally heel just about as good as anything anything in wrestling this year uh-huh. i just i just wish that in the middle of that it, it had stuff that i that i enjoyed like the the jake the jake and O'Shea stuff. They 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 tried they tried their best, but I, I just don't think those two have good chemistry together. And I'm with you that I'm not a big War Horse fan either. So it's like
2: I also wanted to I also wanted to mention that I think it did a great job of baby facing Makabe, like a guy who was fairly heelish on the first night of the tournament.
1: Yeah, which is like even when we were talking to Dylan on on um on the, on the weekly show, is that Dan even though he sort of like worked how Dan usually does on the first night. Then after that show was sort of like the talk of the town, uh-huh. in a way, in a way that was like, oh shit! Like I guess, I guess Dan's a baby face now. Sure, so my number ninety, my number ninety nine, sort of staying in a similar, um, similar area. I guess it's actually the same state, so it shouldn't be similar area. <laughs> but it's Brett Ison versus Alley Cat from Sup, Those Who Fear Tomorrow. I didn't get this one onto my list. You watched it though, right? I did watch it. I'll be upfront. I don't like Brett Ison. I think he's I think he's very much Southern Underground Pro's Jimmy Havoc. For better or for worse. <laughs> oh no, that's oh <laughs> okay. Yeah. And I and I like and I like Jimmy and I like and I don't have a problem with Jimmy Havoc either. So sure. like, I'm not saying this in an insulting way, but he's very much he, he's very much southern underground pro Jimmy Havoc. Yeah, okay. And he's a guy where his aura in the basement east like uh-huh. is un, it's undeniable. But again, this doesn't always result in matches that I necessarily like. Okay. Now here comes Alley Cat. Alley Cat, who's been around, has been around the scene for some time now, mm-hmm. and she just came off an incredible run of matches and stuff versus a fan, versus Athena Stone and Kevin Koo. Who these, are, these were some of Alley Cat's best matches to date, and she's doing so well in these, picking up wins that Alley Cat gets this shot at the bones at the Bone Storm title,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and this starts off with Brett Ice and not knowing really how to approach Alley Cat, this. I think this is, my, this is Brett Ison's first first time working working into gender. Sure, this a this is a big there's a big match for the company, and in general, it's like okay, where like where are we going to go with this thing? Alley Cat, even though she's been on this impressive run and stop, I still I still hesitate to call Alley Cat this great wrestler just because I've seen Alley Cat for years up to this point. She still has, she still has improvements to make, and. Not to take anything away from these two, because I think these two were like really executed what they had to do in the ring to make this and turn this into a great match. Mm-hmm. But the way this is laid out is so perfect to hide the flaws of both of these two that it might it might be the best book piece of wrestling I've seen this year. From the fact that Ison doesn't know how to approach Alley Cat, and then this turns into Alley Cat working Ison's leg or Ison developing a leg injury in the match. And that being Alley ticket into having a chance to win here. Brett Ison eventually taking the gloves off and fighting Alley the way he should be fighting Alley And the crowd really starts to believe in the fact that Alley could win this title. I'm watching this. I know the result. And I'm still like, holy shit. As these near falls, Alley might pull this off. And it seems so real and intangible t- and, and believable that you're like, man, Alley Cat should have won that match. And even though Brett Ison. Has these stories going on with with O'Shea, and he's in the SCI, and he's like he's clearly the top guy. And so you kind of leave that thinking like, man, Alley Cat should have won that match.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And again, like I'm not sure I can say that any other piece of wrestling this year has been as well booked as Bret Ison versus Alley Cat was. I yeah, I didn't I didn't come away feeling quite
2: that same way. I did like it more than I thought I was going to. Um, I. I I have ended up being higher on Ison than you, but I, when I first saw him towards the beginning of the year, I was in a similar space as you are now, like thinking, like, he's fine, but he's very much like a big fish in a small pond. Um, And Allie Cat's cool, like, I, I think she's got a great personality, but, like, her matches don't necessarily do a whole lot for me. But yeah, like, this... It it built off of, like, the connection that these two had with the crowd, and, like, the, the established tropes therein of, like, what they have done in SUP, like um Ison's big pile driver i think it was that alley cat became like the first person to kick out of yeah like doing doing stuff like that like it really did it, it provided a framework that like made this work a lot better than i thought it would have it didn't get on my list but like it's yeah it's pretty good
1: let's no, watch 99
2: my number 99 is a match from the much heralded 205 live territory out of uh out of out of new york i guess like they tour all over the place uh it's Arya davari taking on oni lurkin in an anything goes match from july the 9th
1: Arya davari make, makes your 2019
0: match <laughs> against
1: against all odds man totally all
2: right talk about it like um i don't know like d- before this like i i had no love for Arya davari um he fit into that um uh oh what's the fucking who's the who's the indian guy who was like the the, the big hotness a couple years ago jinder mahal Ginger mahal yes you fit into the like the Ginger mahal category of like a guy who works as like kind of an old school heel where like you're not supposed to like him at all like he doesn't do anything flashy nothing that you can enjoy um which is like an idea i can appreciate but like often falls flat these days like it, like in just in the 21st century it doesn't work the same way i guess um but here in a no dq match he combines that concept with a lot of, like, mean, hardcore work and a lot of, like, good bumping. Like, he totally takes whatever Oni's given to him. Um, and he comes across as, like, for the first time that I've ever seen him, like, he actually comes across as, like, a capable opponent and someone who's, like, interesting as a heel. Um, and on the other end, Oni Lorcan is Oni Lorcan. Like, possibly the most exciting wrestler on the planet. A guy who can instantly make me, like, on the edge of my seat with my eyes glued to the screen. Um, and... He combined all of that with like this year he got it, it was so weird. He like decided he was gonna get shockingly great at selling. Um and that's gonna show up in a big way later on in my list. But like you can see it here with Ari Davari, where like he makes he makes Daivari's, like simple like chain spots look just absolutely killer. And it made for a match that like it really surprised me. There was a lot of two oh five stuff, uh, two oh five live stuff this year that um I liked a lot more than I thought I was going to. And this is this is just the first of many.
1: Yeah, I can't say I saw this one, but I think that's, it sounds like a real testament to Oni. Like, not the slight Ari of Ari there, but it sounds like a real testament to Oni in, in ways that he developed in 2019. Um, my number 98, you might have higher than me, but it's Shayna Baszler versus Io Shirai from NXT TV June
2: 26th. Is this the cage match?
1: Yeah. Yes, I have this quite a bit higher. Okay. So, my number 98
2: is... Uh match I'm not sure that you were too hot on. It's Jihiro Hashimoto defending the Sindai Girls World Championship against my favorite bit of Indian women's clothing, Sari, um, from January the 6th.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't like either of their title matches from 2019 very much, so you did this three line. of them. Oh, okay, they have three? Yeah, they had three. Okay, yeah, I, I saw... I think I, I'll say I saw two of them then. The first two probably, this one and the June one? Yeah. Okay. Um,
2: this one definitely does take a minute to get going. Like it, it has a slow start and it just, it, um, part part of that, I think is like, it was in Shinjuku face. It was just like a small crowd that like wasn't super hot on anybody. So like it, it took a second to like really find its feet, but once it did, it made for like a killer finishing stretch, um, really highlighting like the stylistic differences between these two women, like, uh, Hashimoto's, uh, size and technical prowess in Suri's, uh, like. Speed and high flying and striking ability, Um and it like I don't know it's great it, like it just it totally hooked me after a while like it finally like wormed its way into me and um made for a really exciting series that's gonna pop up a couple times here.
1: Yeah, as uh, I talked about, I talked about it before, but your hero is that I I like the idea of her more than actually, like her matches a lot of the time. Sure. So I was so I was disappointed that I didn't like either like either 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 of the Sari matches that I saw. Um I didn't get to see I guess the third match, which I would assume is Chihiro winning the title back. Uh huh. But yeah, I, I, it was a thing where I wished I liked it more, but it, it didn't get me. Which is funny because there are actually Chihiro matches from 2019 that I did enjoy quite a bit, but hmm. this pairing, but, but this pairing didn't do it for me. Um, my number 97 is David Starr versus Eric Stevens from Beyond Heavy Lies the Crown. Uh, yeah, I just watched this the other day, and it didn't it didn't make the list. Um, about Ap- 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 Simon. Has talked about Eric Stevens in a way where it's like he was a big fan of Eric Stevens back in back in his R.O.H. days. So when, uh-huh. Art, so when Eric Stevens left, needs coming back now and working in a different way than he was before. It's been a little bit weird for him to adjust to that. Um, I like Eric Stevens back then, and I like Eric Stevens now. Mm-hmm. So I I I was into this. I'm not I'm not gonna sit here and act like I think Eric Stevens was like having some top ten. U.S. indie worker in the world kind of year. Sure, like I, like, I, I don't believe so. If someone to argue that, I don't think I don't think they're like batshit insane. But I wasn't going crazy for every for every Eric Stevens match that was that was going on this year. But I think going up against the best wrestler in the world, I think Eric, I think Eric Stevens really showed up and delivered. I think something that he's been re- really gearing up to. Uh-huh. And I think this is that big memorable match of the Eric Stevens run that we were missing so far. And he's had matches with Daniel they had matches with Fred High that were really good. But I think this is the big test of Eric Stevens in 2019. And he mm-hmm. has a big spat of Heavy lines to crown. And him and David Starr are go- are going at it with some unique Matt wrestling that I like a lot. And then here we go. And, you know, accidental blood does boost the match for me. Sure. Right, so like I said, there's no way around it. And it's a pretty gnarly cut on David Starr, too. Mm. So once the blood gets added to it, I think I think that definitely escal- um up ups the match a little bit a little bit for me, but I like how dangerous Eric Stevens felt in these moments. Um, to mention Simon again, Simon thought, "Why didn't Eric Stevens go after the cut? I mean, it's a babyface versus babyface match. Yeah, sure. So like, so, like he's not he's not gonna just suddenly heal during the match and just start spitting out David Starr's blood like he's <laughs> Parada Morgan. Totally. <Anyway. laughs> so." I think, I think David Starr really sold for Eric in a way that no one sold for him. I think Eric has felt like he's playing from behind with a lot of his, um, a lot of, a lot of what the current indie guys, I think this was the first time that Eric felt like he was in firm control and that he is an elite guy and obviously him getting, him getting the win or whatever. Um,
0: Mm.
1: like, 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 doesn't, uh, doesn't hurt that. doesn't hurt that either, but I really, but I really enjoyed it there. The crowd got super into it. The closing, the closing stretch is really great. And it's the best Eric Stevens has looked in his return. I'd probably
2: agree with that, and, and like there was a lot about this match that I liked, but it it, it kind of had the problem of like just keep going. Yeah, um, it like really, really decided it was going to milk that finishing stretch for all it was worth, and I think it, <laughs> oh yeah totally. <laughs> I, I think I think it really surpassed something, but like yeah, the first two thirds of this or so, like I thought were really really something. All right, watch ninety seven. My number 97 is a very fun match that is probably equally silly in some ways. It's a no, disqualif- no disqualification number one contenders match between Gary J and Craig Mitchell from IWTV's Midwest Mixtape.
1: Yeah, I don't think I saw anything from the Midwest Mixtape show. So oh, really? Tell me about it, yeah. it was
2: It was probably my show of the year. Like, it didn't have a ton of great action, like there's two matches on here that made my list um and the rest of it like really didn't either turned me off or like just didn't appeal to me greatly um but it was it was just a fun nostalgic little thing that like very much appealed to like who i am and what sort of wrestling fan i am and like where i come from um and i thought that was just really cute like and this was like uh, a match that uh was tons of silly fun Like, two guys I like a lot. Two guys who do well to um, connect with the crowd as a babyface and as a heel, respectively. Um, Really putting that to good use in a fun little hardcore match where they bump down the stairs and do Canadian Destroyers on the floor and and just have a whole lot of fun.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I really liked Craig's year. So, that's something that I would have liked to see and that I might see just in time to do the We Don't Know Wrestling 100. Sure. But... No, if there's any if there's anyone that I think can get a good match out of Gary J that isn't Warhorse, it probably it sounds like it would be Craig Mitchell. Uh, my number ninety six is Konosuke Takashita versus Hiroshima from DDT Ultimate Party. Uh, was was so, the one late in the year. Uh, yeah, this was um, I okay. think about, yeah, like October match or whatever. Yeah, this one's all you, dude. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, we're in a similar boat here. Like, a, like, a, like our, a lot of our friends think this is like how this is like their match of the year. Sure. And like, like far be it from me to be the guy that like shits on something for someone having an emotional attachment to it. Sure, you know you know, you know what I mean. So like, I'm not I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and downplay the match from that respect because I understand well like where like where that comes from. Uh-huh. But it's it's really well worked. Like it's it's not it's not the most mind blowing thing in the world, but i think takashita Takesh- has a lot of personality in it that i really that i really enjoy harashima selling is good uh takashita talking shit to Hirashima's corner and everything is great the emotional moment as Hirashima grabs that final rope break and him and kudo are holding hands
0: mm.
1: there's, a, there's a lot here to, there's a lot here to like it, it is it you know it, Do I, do i understand Having it anywhere close to like number one, if, of course I do, but it wasn't a story that enthralled me the same way that enthralled some of my friends. Sure. But it's really it's like there's it, is two of the best wrestlers in DDT arguably the two best wrestlers in DDT going out there and having a really good match and you know, play. It plays a lot off of their first match from I believe 2017, where if you remember any of that, Hirashima was in firm control in that in that, in that first match, which Takashita ended up winning. And then you flip it here, and Takashita's in firm control, and Hiroshima and Hirashima winds up winning, which I think is a neat little touch. But it's a cool emotional payoff. It it um pays off a lot of Takashita's character work from from the year, where Takashita was sort of a dick throughout twenty nineteen, to Sasaki, to Endo, to the to the Sendai girls crew, to jumping um, um Nomi Oshimura, and uh and Yuki Ueno. Like, like he 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 had been acting out in a way where it's like he sort of like seemed pat like seemed power hungry and crazed by the fact that he was like the top guy in DDT now and harassment sort of knocked him, knocked him back down a peg. So from from for all that stuff, I, it definitely deserved a spot on my list.
2: Yeah, it just I don't know, it didn't it didn't really grab me in any particular way. It felt kind of like slow and dull, but I don't want to I don't want to get into it. I want to focus on positive things, such as my number ninety six which is uh, another intergender match. It's coming from us. It's coming from Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory once again. It's John Silver taking on Layla Hirsch.
1: Yeah, I didn't have this one on here, but this is really fun.
2: Yeah, like, um, these two. These are two people I like a whole lot. Silver, somebody who uh, first really grabbed me back in 2016 when I thought he was one of the best wrestlers in the world. And Hirsch, like, probably the best rookie of the year, or at least the best person that I saw for the first time in 2019 uh silver silver has been wrestling for a long time like he's definitely a veteran um but he's not necessarily a guy who i've ever seen like exhibit a whole lot of veteran instincts like he he doesn't necessarily like control matches um in the same like obvious and uh overt way that a guy like say chris hero would um and he's not someone who i think does a lot to like make up for someone's mistakes or misfortunes, but he totally does it here as a uh, Hirsch accidentally like kind of hurts her neck or her back, taking a lawn dart into the corner and silver does a fantastic job of like keeping the match interesting and keeping people invested in it. And then slowly turning heel over the course of the remaining minutes to cover up for Hirsch as she recovers. um, And like really uh, makes a huge comeback against him. Uh, and Hirsch also exhibits like some great instincts in like knowing what to do when she can't do a lot, like relying on some striking and a whole lot of shit talking, like when she can't even run the ropes. Um, and like, I I thought it was just like a tremendous, I I thought it was a tremendous showing from two people who were put in a really bad situation and made the most of it. I think they still fumbled here and there was like some, some poor execution on a couple spots, and I think like the finish itself was like the wrong call, but like all in all, like this is this was a match that looked like it was gonna like fly entirely off the rails, but these two pulled it back.
1: Yeah, so something that I noticed about John Silver a lot in twenty nineteen is it felt like this is finally the year where you know a little bit of a little bit of a, of a depleted pool of talent, and John Silver steps up completely where there was in CTW or or in beyond where Silver. Felt like one of those veteran, veteran hand guys now. And the way people talk about Chris Dickinson in 2019, I felt like people should have been saying talking about talking about John Silver that way. Sure. My uh, number 95 is clearly your match of the year, and we'll be talking about it later, is Bill Ospreay versus Kota from the G1 Climax. <laughs> uh, I don't think I watched this one. Uh, yeah, um, this is the July 18th match between them. They had a, they had a match at Wrestle Kingdom, uh-huh. and this is uh, happening at Kroken Hall. So... Oh, okay. a lot of people will prefer their wrestle kingdom match because it's shorter a lot more to the point wait was uh, it shorter yeah wow this one goes this one goes like 20 like 20 plus well i thought the 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 i almost called it mania I,
2: <laughs> I thought the wrestle the wrestle kingdom one went that long no, no the wrestle kingdom match was like the opener
1: of the show so yeah but
2: that doesn't necessarily mean they go super short
1: but okay whatever um so this one, this one goes a little bit longer, a little bit more drawn out. So I can see people saying that they prefer the Wrestle Kingdom one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, if you know me, you know I'm, per- I'm someone that usually prefers a sequel to a wrestling match more than uh, um, right. more than the first one. So I enjoyed the stuff that they call back here. Now some people might call this like surface level stuff that didn't do anything for them, but I enjoyed the teasing of the leg work and all that stuff that Will Ospreay did on Kota ankle. You like get on the on, um, right, okay. on the first night on the first night of the G One tour in Dallas, Koda Bushi legitimately hurt his ankle in the match with Kenta. So you're getting some stuff teasing that. You're also getting getting some stuff getting some stuff about what Ospreay's back. And I enjoy I, I enjoyed that stuff. I you know I I understand that someone was like they thought that stuff was more interesting than what the than what the normal match between Koda Bushi and Will Osprey's gonna look like. Mm-hmm. So you no, know, that's that's fair. But I enjoyed the early work. I think it's really nasty and mean striking. I think the fireworks are just as good as fireworks you're gonna see anywhere else. The power bomb spot in here that Will Ospreay does usually in his matches is particularly nutty.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, and, and you know, it, like it's, it's Will Ospreay Kodabushi. There isn't a lot here in the terms of like it may sound like I haven't like rewatched this match, but it's like it sounds like exactly what you think Will Ospreay Kodabushi is gonna be. And it goes a little longer than what you might expect from them either, but. It's two guys who are uber athletic, have been good, have been good strikers, beating the hell out of each other and doing callbacks to their previous match, and that works for me.
2: Okay, that was your number ninety-five. Yeah. All right, my number ninety-five is the first of many lucha libre matches on my list. It's a two out of three falls match from a CMLL Friday show. It's Dragon Lee versus Barbaro Cavernario from January the fourth. I considered it, did not make my list. Um, this was first and foremost, this was a great start to the year for both these men, um, men who had very different years, <laughs> uh, and it featured one of the best beatdowns that Cav did this year, if not the best, like I rewatched this today in preparation for this podcast and was kind of amazed by how much he did in these first two falls, just totally eats the dude alive. Um, wins the first fall outright, uh, is disqualified in the second fall for, uh trying to or for actually ripping off the dude's mask and then uh in the tercera dragon lee comes back with this huge comeback it's everything you expect from him um and it makes for some great action like it eventually gets to be a little much i think like it gets especially gets to like a um a little more like your turn my turn sort of stuff that i would like but like as far as the the actual spots are concerned like it was some of the best like lucha spot
1: fest wrestling that i saw all year yeah, that's probably like that's probably like my favorite or second favorite Dragon League match of the year. So, I, I thought I thought Cav did a really good job bringing the best out of him. And Dragon League's been a been a guy that really I think I think for me and you has been sort of hit, been sort of hit a miss for the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. My number ninety four is Cody Rose versus Chris Jericho from AEW Full Gear. Watch this, hated it. Um, <laughs> so i I'm, <gonna, laughs> I'm just gonna let you take it. I mean, like. So I try. So I try to watch as much AEW week to week as I can, mm-hmm. just because I want to see if the product does become anything that's worth that worth worth anything. And as they are leading up to full gear, they like they do really solid stuff from 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 most of this leading up to leading up to full leading up to full gear. But obviously, it's still on paper. It's Cody versus Chris Jericho. It's not a match that I'm expecting to like or think is even good. But we get here, and there's another match boosted by boosted by uh, accidental blood. But it takes it takes this match from sort of from middling into for once this sort of Jericho character kind of kind of clicks for me Hmm. because people will tell you that Jericho is he's mean, he's nasty, he's dastardly, he's evil, and all that stuff. And the way the way people talk about him, you would think he's like this, like revelation as a heel that he's like the best heel in the world but he doesn't always act the way in his matches a lot of the time he does like cutesy shit and doesn't feel as nasty as people want you to want you to uh believe that he is and in this match of full gear i think this is the first time he's ever felt that way for me cody this is the best performance i've seen for i, I saw from him this year or in 2019 rather he he's been super over as a baby face right but i think this, this was the first time i felt like he earned it as well, going out there and really fire and really firing up and feeling like all that fire and prim- all that fire and passion from him was more than like surface level promo stuff. And it feels like actually part of his matches And a big thing here is the finish. So the finish is Cody is in the lion tamer
0: mm.
1: and Chris Jericho stomping his head in MJF, who at the time was Cody's corner man, accompanied Cody to the ring and has a towel. Now, and this, I think this, I think this is like part a big part of it for me is MJF is really good at acting here. I think that if MJF wasn't so nearly as convincing in his actual concern for Cody, this doesn't get on my list, but I think MJF seems so genuine in his, uh, in how distraught he is and how upset he is in order and ha- and ha- having to make this decision for the benefit of his quote unquote best friend hmm. really sells the finish for me. So MJF on the verge of tears throws in the towel for Cody and Cody can no longer challenge for the AEW title. You know, it it sweeps the Royal Farms arena. Everyone is sort of in a hush shock at what just happened. And in the post-match, uh, Cody still covered in blood is upset, like visibly annoyed with, with MJF. And MJF is pleading with his, you know, mentor best friend that he was trying to do what's best for him and just trying to help him and then in all that emotion and and everything feeling so genuine because up in the, up until that point a lot of people were like okay is mjf going to turn heel when's it coming when's it coming but they had been doing this thing where mjf's character had been he's a face when he's with cody but he's a heel everywhere else which i thought might have gotten, gotten explored a little bit longer but i think in that moment And MJF selling it so well, and then we eventually turns on Cody.
0: Hmm. It
1: makes it makes the turn better than it would have been otherwise. Like it it was it was a protect it was a predictable turn in the first place, but I think MJF selling in the post match and making it feel so genuine, and then adding on that seat of doubt that you know maybe he wasn't doing it to save Cody, maybe he's just an asshole and all that stuff. I I liked it. It's it's a match that it could have easily wound up being on my worst match of the year list.
0: If if if, if, any,
1: if anything else if any, anything would have went wrong here, sure. But I, it nails all the other th- other things enough for me that it got a spot on here.
2: All right, fair enough. Uh, my number ninety four is a match with another person that I have like a, a weird relationship with. It's a uh, Walter defending the Progress Unified World Championship against Eddie Kingston at Progress Chapter Ninety One. Didn't get around seeing this. Um, I like this a lot. Uh. Or at least I liked half of it a lot. <laughs> I think this was easily one of King's best performances this year. Um, probably one of his best performances in several years. Like, he just totally choose the, sh- the scenery in front of a crowd that he's, I think, working in front of for the first time. I want to say that this this weekend of shows was, like, his first time in progress. Um, And, like, they're real into him, and he is, like, super into, like, giving them exactly what they want. Um, doing his usual thing with a guy like Walter. Walter does a lot to piss me off in this match. Like in his in his heelishness, I think he has really um, sold himself short in a lot of ways. Like I think he's reverted to a bunch of like cowardly stuff that doesn't always feel great. Especially since he's, like, such a large commanding figure on the indies. Like, it just, it feels strange for him to be, like, going to the referee and being like, oh, he chopped me real hard. Like, that just, it feels so contrary to, like, who he is just as a physical human being as well as a character. Um, But at the same time, like, he delivered what he needed to at certain points in this match, so... Um, when Kingston was selling for him, like, the, he would actually hit hard, and it would result in exactly what I'm looking for from an a Kingston match, and it was, it was a ton of fun, even if, like, I didn't really like the champion in
1: this one. I would argue that the Walter character has always been sort of a hypocrite, in spite of, in spite of like, his size and, like, overall demeanor, though.
2: That's fair. Like, just, that's fair to some degree, and I, and I think, like, it has worked at times it has worked well in wxw but like of late i think it's just it's compounding with all my other issues with him and it's just it's its snowballing into a huge thing that like it's so unappealing to me
1: all right so my number 93 is jay white versus roshi tanahashi from the best of the super juniors finals
2: okay this was this ended up being my number 101
1: so this is the debut of jay white's beard oh why is uh, it i don't recall that yeah this, yeah, this is the debut of jay white's beard obviously um clearly the best addition to a wrestling act of the year sure but the, the, these two are such a funny pairing man it's 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 real. it's really funny you go from wrestle kingdom to their g1 2018 match to the to, to the new beginning match and now this oh one, no there's a,
2: there was a king of pro king wrestling,
1: pro wrestling. Match. Yeah. yeah like you, you look at the five matches these guys have had and it's it's all over the place. Totally, but th- but this is one. Of the, but this is the. But this is another one of those ones like the King of Pro Wrestling match where, I think they nail everything just as good as they could have here. Mm-hmm. Um. J White's they, J White's interesting because I think, you go back to that first Hanahashi match from Wrestle Kingdom, and it's weird they didn't they didn't click so much because J White after that, really works as like a a little bit more heelish Hanahashi and, so, and sometimes. Hmm. So you watch you watch these guys together again in the in the later installments it's like man these guys are like so so good together they just do like logical smart things when they're in when they're in the ring together It's guys that are committed to their characters committed to their selling um i do they ever take breaks from it they do smart cradles and pins and shit that i think mm-hmm. that i think are really cool they're always they're always trying to win yeah it's it's, not, it's never a thing where it feels like it turns into like a like it's like you mentioned it with uh you mentioned previously but like the, like a your move my move thing yeah it never, it never feels like that with those two and uh, there's enough of the gato bullshit here to really get the crowd irate and want to mm-hmm. see tanahashi and really want to see tanahashi win and it's also a good way to heat up jay white mm-hmm. jay white wasn't really visible during the best of super Junior tournament he just lost to okada at master square at, at master square garden so you can, you're heating him you're, you're heating him up for the g1 and this was a really effective match that, you know, all, appealed to all, all my other sensibilities too. Whether it was like limb work, selling, character character development, all that kind of shit, all that kind of stuff too.
2: Yeah, this ended up it uh, didn't make my list, but well, not in in this form at least. But it it was probably my favorite of their matches so far.
1: Yeah, um, I I thought you really liked that uh, King of War Wrestling match. That's that's that's, that's probably
2: that one. I didn't. That's probably my. Th- third favorite i i like you, you, you like the g1 match a lot
1: yeah i like the g1 match a lot it, it
2: was like uh the g1 and the the klpw one are like of a feather um and the g1 match was like kind of more concise and i think it hit on its points without wasting a bunch of time whereas the king of pro wrestling one uh i think it just like it it, it did the same thing but kind of got a little bloated with it um which was like something that this match didn't have the opportunity to do. Like it was like third from the top, not a title match, like didn't have a whole right. lot going for it. So like, there was only so much that they quote unquote could do. And so because of that, it ends up being like 16, 17 minutes. And it was like the perfect length for the two of them. All right. What's your
1: number, th- what's
2: your number 93? My number 93 is hopefully the only match from this pay-per-view that makes either of our lists to hell in a cell match for the WWE raw women's championship between Becky Lynch and Sasha Banks
1: strongly considered this did not make my list
2: yeah it was like i didn't expect a whole lot from this going in but it ended up being a ton of trashy fun like i think these two did like these are two women i like a lot um mostly on their personalities like as workers they can be kind of limited in some ways or kind of clunky in some ways um but like they come at this one with like a lot of big ideas a lot of like innovative spots that i've never seen before especially revolving uh, revolving around steel chairs.
1: Yeah, it is some insane shit.
2: Yeah, and it like it it made for like a surprisingly good match that like coming out of this show, no one was talking about for the obvious reasons, but like was, <laughs> but was like definitely like definitely the best thing on this.
1: Yeah, it w- it was another thing in, those, in one of those cases where Sasha had just been off of TV for uh-huh. super fucking long, and if you remember, I mean maybe I liked it more than you did, but Sasha had just had a really good match around the Rousey on the Royal Rumble.
0: So yes.
1: I was I was super excited to see Sasha get another title shot, and it didn't. And and this didn't disappoint. Uh, my number ninety two. You might have this higher than me. I have no clue if you have even have this on your list, but Davis Starr versus Jordan Devlin from OTT fifth anniversary. Uh this is the February one. No, October. Okay, I
2: do have this on my list. It's higher. Okay. Uh, my number ninety-two might also be a match that you have. It's a match between a pair of young guys on the Tetsujin is fucking dead
1: show. It's Ethan Allen taking on Luke Jacobs. Yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk about that later tonight. All right. So my number ninety-one then is Mark Haskins and Tracy Williams versus Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham from ROH January twenty-fourth.
2: Okay, so this is January. This
1: is not the Iron Man tag. No, this is the first match they had. Okay, I like
2: this one, but it didn't make the
1: list. Yeah. So. I didn't. I didn't really like that Iron Man tag. Um, we're we're going to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't like it as much. I figured it, I figured it would be pretty high on your list. But um, yeah, this is early. This is early on in the stages of ROH bringing in these bringing this new influx of guys, including mm-hmm. including Haskins and Tracy, and this Lethal and Gresham tag team and the flashes that would be a god of it in god of God of twenty eighteen were fun, mm-hmm. but I think. Haskins and Tracy were like a revelation here for like these ROH fans that people might not have been like super familiar with these guys. These weren't like super hot indie names. Like Haskins is past his peak as far as like his name value. And Tracy was never one of those guys. So, but you had these guys come in and sort of like as a thrown together tag team. They are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. And it's a shame. Cause I wish that our wish would have went all the way with these guys instead of like, you know, going to the Briscoes again for the tag titles. But Haskins and Tracy were phenomenal here. Gresham and Lethal are all are always super good. I like I really I really enjoyed the selling from from their end. Particularly, they have some super creative tag team spots that I enjoy. Haskins and Tracy are just super nasty in this, mm. and it's really effective. Simple tag team wrestling here. I think the Iron Man maybe did a little bit too much for me, and they went maybe I guess a tag team Iron Man. I just don't think is a very good format. It is a strange gimmick, yeah. Yeah, and I and I think that I think that's hard to work. And it's not like like a fault of any, any, either of those guys. But I think this was the best use of their strengths compared to the in, in the two matches comparatively.
2: Yeah, I liked I liked all the matches that these guys had. Like uh Haskins and Sauce are like a pair of guys you wouldn't think would work well together, but like if you, you look at them side by side and you're like, Okay, yeah, like these are two hard nosed dudes, like guys who um are kind of spotty but who like to like um cement that around a core of like strong technical wrestling and like lots of striking and lots of speed and like that paired super well with guys like lethal and gresham uh, lethal and gresham like uh, a guy who does really well as like the the baby face ace of the company and his little buddy who gets isolated a lot in these tag matches and yeah it was just it was textbook tag wrestling done super well what's your 91 here number 91 gotta pull this up again it is uh, Dana Makabe taking on Dominic Green from the Ambition Wildcard Tournament. I think this is my 101. Okay. Um, I don't have a ton to say about this one. It's just like a, a great bite-sized little match. Uh, shoot-style adjacent match from two guys I like a whole lot. Two of my favorite technical wrestlers in the world today. Um, one thing that I noted in my review that Dan later spoke to me about Um, and actually confirmed it was like the idea that they play up stuff that they did earlier, earlier in the tournament. Like they were, um, it wasn't something so, uh, so silly as like, oh, this guy did this like one sequence with a bunch of kicks earlier and the other guy saw it. So he was able to reverse it, but it was, it was stuff like, oh, this one guy like couldn't buck the other dude out of his guard earlier, but this time around he's able to catch it. Um, stuff like that, like stuff that is like simple that you, that wouldn't wouldn't stand out obviously as like a trend that they're working toward, but that like you can piece together to form like a fun little narrative throughout the course of this tournament. Um, and it 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 made for like a really enjoyable
1: match. Yeah, sort of sort of a dream match thing totally. for me. Really, you know, especially in this setting, I think it was perfect for these guys. I think they did. I think they have a really good match in Sup too, but. Yeah, like this is exactly what I'd want out of Dominic Garini and Daniel Makabe finally getting to wrestle each other. Mm-hmm. My number ninety is a match that I don't think you'll have, but it's Tony Deppen versus Dustin Thomas from Joey Janela Spring Break.
2: Yeah, I watched this; it was pretty good, but yeah, I didn't make the list.
1: So, Tony Deppen, if AC, if okay, <laughs> Tony Deppen probably the best working heel in the U.S. I think AC Mack just as an overall act mm. is probably is probably the best heel just because he generates a insane level of heat Mm. but if you're asking for a heel to go out there and like work and antagonize the crowd on on top of having really good matches Mm. Tony Depp your guy and here we are and you know regardless of how you feel about GCW (laughs) they do these they do they do these angles um that are sort of you know sort of meant to go viral and everything but they do but they set them up in interesting ways they did did it with Marcus Stein at Lost New York and I think they they do a similar thing here with Dustin Thomas aka No Legs and Tony Deppen is just out there running down the crowd looking for a fight and he picks the guy with no legs and Deppen thinks that he's just going to go out there and just beat up on the guy in the crowd with no legs. And mm-hmm. Dustin Thomas is extraordinarily good. Mm-hmm. He is an incredible athlete and they do some really cool shit. The crowd is super into this. Mm-hmm. It is maybe my favorite crowd reaction to a match all year and i think both guys are just stellar in it it's a real big feather in the cap for tony deppin and i think the growth that he was making in 2019 that he could go out there and have a match like this and and dustin thomas is a guy where it's like man like if there was anyone that i wish gcw would bring back i think it's dustin thomas (laughs) (laughs) totally yeah
2: like um uh, i yeah this didn't make my list or anything but like it, it was Uh, it's the sort of thing that, like, on paper it reads as just a total gimmick, but, like, they work it really well, and, like, they deliver exactly what you would think you'd get from this without making it, like, super obvious or super hammy or super, um... Offensive, like there's, there's definitely like a a version of this match that is just like really ableist. Oh yeah, um, it's, yeah,
1: it's like it, there's, there's a version of this match that's like super distasteful. Yeah, uh, but but you know it, it it doesn't it doesn't get into that territory and like it's not the it's not the big it's not the like the main reason why it's high on my list. But like that's definitely part of it that they you know really put something together like this without going too far hmm. in the other direction. It worked really well.
2: I was your ninety. Yeah. My number ninety is a match that I think you're going to have higher than me. It's Hiroshi Tanahashi taking on Kushida in Kushida's last match in New Japan.
1: Yeah, we're going to talk about that tonight. All right. So, my number eighty nine then is a match I'm not sure you saw, but it's Benkei versus Masato Yoshino from Dragon Gate Gate of Destiny.
2: Uh, no, I didn't get to see this one.
1: I my feelings are really complicated on Benkei. Sure, I think that he's been in good matches, but I feel like he's Routinely been a guy that's been shown up in in a lot of these, and this isn't like it, it's not like this isn't the case in this match, but Masato Yoshino was so good in this. This is maybe my favorite Masato Yoshino match I've seen in years, as far as far as like a, as far as like a singles capacity here, and I'm someone that's not a big Yoshino singles guy. Uh, I think it can be very bland and sort of boring as a singles guy, in. I think he's so driven and determined here trying to get, trying to get his title back after Pac had beat him at, at final gate in 2018. And this guy is super motivated. He's working with a, he's working with a focus and purpose and everything. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've ever wanted from Yoshino, but I don't always get that. And here, and here is Ben working uphill again against the guy that's turning in a career performance. So I guess if it was, it's a similar case from like the PAC match, where I think Pack maybe had his best performance of the year, and then Benke has to try to match that. And he doesn't quite get there, but he does enough where he doesn't look like a joke. I think Yoshino is extraordinarily good here, and Benke does enough to hold up his end of the bargain, where it doesn't just feel like, man, why does Benke have the belt? Uh, some sick-ass lariats here. I think Yosh- I think Yoshino probably has the best lariat that no one talks about in wrestling for sure just, just because uh, it's a size thing for sure with him that you don't think like masada yoshino lariat get lariat guy that's like that's not going to come to your mind but he has a wicked lariat on ben k in this and ben k pulls out the victory here and i i just left this match being pleasantly pleasantly surprised by how good yoshino was
2: my number 89 was uh, another progress match, this time for the Women's Championship. It's Jordan Grace defending the belt against Mako Satomura on the Chapter 95 show.
1: Yeah, I... This was good, but it didn't make it didn't come close to any, anything for me. I,
2: I hear you, like
1: I, like,
2: I like Jordan Grace a lot. I think she's a good worker, but for a variety of reasons. Um, she doesn't necessarily seem to have a lot of matches that end up on these lists, um, and subsequently often doesn't make doesn't make it as high on my wrestler of the year list as I think she probably should be. Um, but I was, I was very glad to see her have this match here. Like she fits in well with Satomura's like slam, bam, strike heavy style. Um, the thing that Satomura is probably better than anyone at, um, such that like, even when she's just playing the hits, like she does here, like it makes for a really fun match. Um, and Grace like slots very naturally into that and also brings, um, some interesting heel work to the table, like something that I don't actually see a ton from her, but she's always good at, uh, and it made for like a really exciting little title match on a show that's that's about a lot of bigger things. But uh, this was easily the highlight of it for me.
1: Yeah, it's one of the few Jordan Grace matches I saw this year. I didn't get to see a ton from her, but yeah, as for what it was, like this is, this is still the best match on that on that Progress show. Totally. So, um, my number eighty eight. Is Kentomi Har versus Asushi Aoki from the Champions Carnival. I oh I don't think I got to see this one. Oh uh, man, I, I, I like I don't really recommend you wrestling wrestling as much anymore, but like you really like this. I think I think you like this a lot. Um I do like Aoki. This uh, Aoki had a real had a, was having a really good run up at this point, man. Yeah. Which is makes like, obviously, like, a dude, the dude lost his life and everything. Yeah. at a super young age, which is the most important thing. But he was also having a really good run in Pen at this point. Mm-hmm. He had a really good match with Koji Iwamoto that I liked a lot. And then here he is getting announced for the Champions Carnival, being the being sole junior in the tournament and everything. And,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, how is Aoki, how is Aoki going to work in here? And here? I think this is the first night of the tournament in Cork, and, and I was like, okay, well, what are we going to do here with Aoki? And Aoki just goes full shenanigans here, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of like sleazy veteran stuff, trying to trying to pick up the victory. Kirkenhall is so is purely behind Aoki. Kento has to figure out all these tricks that Aoki that Aoki's pulling here, and eventually put the put the match back into his wheelhouse, which is controlling it and uh throwing these headbutts and throwing Aoki, throwing Aoki all over the place. But this is super fun. It's it's like it's not a ton it's not a ton here, but if you're looking for something that's just really fun, unique wrestling, it's not Kento Miyahara formula, it's mm-hmm. not typical great match formula in Japan. Like it's just super fun, unique, creative shit, and it's just a shame that like you know yeah a- like Aoki it has passed because this 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 was real this was really a like his last great match. What was it again? Like a car crash? Yeah, a motorcycle crash motorcycle okay
2: uh well my number 88 was a match that i was surprisingly high on i don't know that you necessarily have it on your list though it's a uh, jeff cobb defending the roh world television championship against will osprey who's defending the never open weight title at uh, that big roh new japan g1 Supercard show
1: no i know uh, i like this match but i'm really surprised that you have this on here
2: yeah like i truly did not expect much from this like these are a pair of guys who i do not care for um and a pair of guys who, like, I usually find to be um, a little too, like, self-serious or self-centered in their specific brand of, like, action figure style wrestling. um, But here, instead of, like, looking inward or, like, appealing to, like, a certain prestige that I don't enjoy, here I think they did a a fantastic job of appealing to a crowd that had already seen a little bit of bizarre stuff and was going to see a whole lot more bizarre stuff throughout the night um and it made for a super fun a super breezy match that like played to all of their best abilities and like made sure not to highlight many of their weaknesses and like it was yeah like it it totally did a lot for me way more than anything else that these guys did the rest of the year and have in years really
1: yeah this is probably my favorite opener or one of my favorite openers that there's been on a that's been on the show this year. So, I, so I'm really surprised that this made it on your list. But I guess you know, you know, running gag. But I guess is your this year's Michael Elgin versus Sammy Callahan for you. Sure,
0: totally. Uh,
1: my number eighty seven is a match, and I'm sure you have higher. But it's Akira Hayuto and Hideki Suzuki versus Takuho Tuku- Kato and Yujo Kibayashi from Big Japan for Wrestling's August twenty fourth show.
2: Yeah, we're gonna. I think we're gonna talk about that tonight. Okay. Um, my number 87 instead is Chris Statlander versus Nick Gage in what is, I guess, unofficially a no DQ match. It's a Nick Gage match after all, uh, from Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory episode 19, the season two opener, I think. Not on my list,
1: but the best Nick Gage match of the year.
2: Yeah, I'd probably agree with that. Like, I don't, I don't believe that I have anything higher. Um, just a fun match where like, uh, Nikki... I was kind of down on Nikki in 2018. He still made my Wrestler of the Year list, I believe, um, but like he wasn't nearly so high as he was in 2017. Um, like I thought, like he, I, I thought, I thought like his age and like the wear and tear he was, he was going through, like, was really catching up to him. But in 2019, for the most part, I think he's turned that around and has been able to like channel his personality more into his matches to the point that like that is what shines more than just his physical activity and he's been also able to like make up for his physical shortcomings in certain ways and it's made for a lot of just fun like hardcore matches um and statlander incredibly endearing woman like one of the best babyfaces of the year and someone who like throws her all into everything comes into this match uh takes her lumps takes her bumps like stays with nikki every step of the way and it makes for
1: just a delightful little thing yeah, this was. I think this is like a like a big turning point for me for Statlander, where I saw like I I was watching all of at stuff to this point, but I still was kind of lost on like why Statlander became such a became such a big name, and then watched this, I was like, okay, like I get like I get it now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: My so my number eighty six is Mark Haskins versus Terry Thatcher from O T T uh, April second. I don't think I saw this one. What show is this on? This this is like a, a contender show. I think okay. it's my yeah. I'm not, the, I'm not. I don't think it was the same one as. Like Devlin versus Callum Black, no, nah, I think I think there's, I think there's like the I think there's, I think there was the main event of the show. Okay. Um, Mark Haskins as a heel in OTT was really really good in the best work he's been able to get in the last couple of years. As you know, his career has been really weird from ROH to not being used as much in progress and everything. But OTT, he got some, he got some stuff to sink his teeth into. Terry Thatcher is. Uh, he if he's if he's not number one, he's like a top three underdog babyface going in wrestling right now, uh-huh. and it's really good chemistry here. Like if you if you've seen Mark Haskins in the last few years, you know that while he can be a really awesome babyface, this guy is super nasty and super mean when he's a heel. He's really focused and driven and intense, and does and is very urgent. He's not a guy that sits there like fluffs his matches too much. I think and. Here he is just kicking the ever living shit ever-living shit out of Terry Thatcher, and Terry Thatcher takes a ass kicking just as good just as good as anyone in wrestling. So it's this is for the I think it's for the for the gender gender neutral title as well. Oh, is it so so Terry Thatcher actually wins this. And then Haskins who would who had won their fucking briefcase gimmick or whatever, which was mm. stupid, but you know, whatever. He cashes in his briefcase gimmick so he can get another title shot immediately. Facing Terry, so they pretty much they technically have two matches here, but obviously sure. for these purposes coming in on as it, one. And Haskins comes back even nastier, even meaner, putting Terry away. And after a few hope, after a little bit of hope spots, he eventually puts Terry down. But you know, it's it was really nice to get to have two Mark Haskins matches on my list, where in a year where I felt like Mark Haskins sort of after an, after an initial really good like first couple of months. Yeah, disappeared. It felt good to be able to look back on the year and still still get Mark Haskins on my list just because he's a guy that for the last four years before that was a really good wrestler, mm-hmm. and I don't think history I don't think history is going to feed him very, treat him very kindly. But he's a guy that I wanted to have represented on my list, and I think two match two matches is very good for him.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I think history is just going to remember that one uh, that one very silly Trent Seven promo. Yes. <laughs> my um, number eighty-six is a match that I feel kind of bad about having this low, considering how high on it I was at the time. It's the Velveteen Dream defending the NXT North American Championship against Matt Riddle at NXT Takeover New York.
1: Um, I do
2: not believe I have this on my list. So this was, um, first and foremost, this was a great Riddle performance. Like this was uh, probably the culmination of his kind of stellar start to the year, in which like he was. Um showing off like all of the potential that I saw in him on the Indies, but never really grasped for anything more than a couple minutes at a time, like a guy who had all of the athletic ability and um really intelligence to become a total ass kisser or a total ass kicker I'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> um like a total ass kicker, but who on the Indies at least always felt like he was getting in his own way. Um, and I think it, early in this NXT run, like he totally like focused his stuff up and, and became like, at least in the ring, like an incredibly good wrestler that I thought was gonna end up in my top ten wrestlers of the year. Um, on top of that, this is also a great dream performance, at least in that he is finally working to his abilities and where he's at at this point in his career, as opposed to just like fumbling through a bunch of sloppy tribute bullshit that just looks awful and forces world-class wrestlers to make themselves look like total dorks for his benefit. Like that's not what he's doing here. Here's he's just getting his ass kicked. Like riddle is so much better than him, better than him. And is just steamrolling him every step of the way to the point that like dream has no other recourse, but to just like hold on with both hands and hope for something coming down the stretch. And that's what happens eventually. Like he, he finds his opening and like gets a roll up and wins in like the cheapest way possible but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like I've been cheated out of anything because like it plays very directly to what this match is this this like clear obvious story of one guy being so much better than the other and the other just getting lucky and that ties into a really phenomenal post match sequence too where dream recognizes like hey you were definitely the better man here and I'm going to give you props for that. And, like, fist bumps Matt Riddle, like, his big bro thing, you know? Um, and I loved it. Like, it felt like, it felt like for the first time, Dream had a character. Like, it felt like there was actually a human being under, like, all of the Prince tribute bullshit and all of, like, the, the Hogan stuff and the appealing to Vince. Like, it felt like there was a person there. And, like, I loved seeing that from a pair of guys who, like, I have not at all enjoyed in recent years
1: um yeah for me that's probably the best individual riddle performance i've ever seen like the only thing i'll put up here is maybe the hot sauce um style battle final for individual riddle performance oh right
2: from 2016 yeah
1: yeah but i I think there's like really up there for riddle and yeah dream i think i think the benefit here is that they stopped running away from what dream is which is dream is a baby face sure and for a long time my problem with dream is that they keep they kept treating him like he wasn't like he like he was a heel and uh-huh. kept trying to get them to boo him and it's like well no like clearly he's over let him go out there and sell and get sympathy and let him get the shit kicked out of him totally and that's exactly what riddle did here and i think that's why this is so effective and you know dream isn't dream isn't a guy i wanted to i want to dislike he's a guy that clearly was like making like making a lane for himself in wwe and like i wanted this i wanted to see him do well but it felt like clearly over time, despite the fact that he was so over, mm-hmm. they kept trying to force this heel thing. And I was very glad to see Riddle sort of step up, beat the shit out of him, and like really force Dream into what he should be, which is a selling mm-hmm. baby face. Uh, number 85 is a match you definitely have higher than me. It is Thomas Shire versus Gary J from St. Louis Anarchy, May 24th. Yeah, uh, we're going to talk
2: about that, I think, on night three. Uh, instead, we can talk about an intergender tag match coming once again from Beyond Wrestling, uh, it's the Legit Utes, the team of Layla Hirsch and Wheeler Yuta, taking on AC Mack and Freddie a. High. The Legit Utes is a really great name. <laughs> it's it's a it's a cute little thing.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, this is just a good ass tag. Like you know me, I love tag team wrestling. Uh, I love watching baby faces do their thing. I love heels beating down on a baby face, and that's exactly what we get here. We get a pair of strong, likable heroes. Um, one of them being like probably the most uh, impressively athletic person in wrestling today, especially as Lesnar is turning into a big bloated mess, Um, as well as like the second coming of Ricky Steamboat, uh, taking on a pair of outsider heels who are great at playing up the fact that they're outsider heels Um, and like together, they just make for a quick, uh, well-paced, hard-hitting, sensible tag team match that like got the crowd popping and and got its way onto
1: my list so my number 84 is daniel makabe versus tony deppin from the scenic city invitational night one this one while i enjoyed it did not make the top 100 so while like i just sang tony's praises a little bit ago this is definitely a match i didn't know i didn't know that tony had in him in the time that i've been watching tony um and like the places he's worked worked all over the East Coast and everything, I'd, I didn't know that he had this side in him, but I think that's really a testament to Dan. Sometimes is that he brings out this sort of like side of guys that they don't really display super often. Mm-hmm. I think th- I think this is like a perfect showcase exactly for that for that point. Dan comes in rel- relative un- relative unknown um, at this point, still just very much like a deep Twitter favorite in. <laughs> he's a guy that you know people like the people running SCI believed in and he got a chance to go out there in the crowd like he gets a he gets a he gets a good reaction on tape I can't I can't say how it sounds how it sounded um in person but he gets like a decent reaction on on tape and then as the match goes on and these guys are just doing this this really slick incredible mat really slick incredible mat work um they intro they introduce the selling aspects of it and everything, and these guys really turn it into a into a match that like takes the show by storm. Mm-hmm. You're not you're not expecting these guys to go out there and steal the show. I mean, if you know who these two are like, yeah, Tony Depp and Daniel Macabe, like they're gonna have a great match. It just makes sense in your head if you know who these two are. Mm-hmm. But for the audience that SCI attracts, they're not necessarily they're not necessarily gonna be anticipating this. So we have this. One tiny white guy and Tony <laughs> Deppin. and you have this other pale white guy in in Daniel <laughs> in wearing wearing a soccer kit, hmm. like like it just it just doesn't make sense that like this match will get so over uh-huh. in front of such in, su- in front of such a weird crowd, but it does. And it takes them and it takes that crowd by storm, and really is the like one of the big stepping points, I think, in Dan becoming a legitimate international player because i think one of the arguments you can make about you can make against dan is that he's really comfortable when he's in his own backyard mm. and all these people have to come to him where he's already super over and audiences are already familiar with him i think dan showed this year or 2019 rather that he can he like that he could he could take this anywhere anywhere in the world mm. and that he can get and that he can get himself over in 10 minutes this
2: one i think was a little longer than 10 but you're totally right yeah i'm saying it's like at minimum 10 <laughs> minutes yes <laughs> Uh, my number eighty four, uh I think I described my last match as a good ass tag match and this is another good ass tag match. It's the team of Beauty Bear, Chihiro Hashimoto and Mika Iwata taking on Hiroyo Matsumoto and Sari from the Sinai Girls February third show.
1: I, lo- I love this but it didn't make my list.
2: Yeah, I, I like this a whole bunch too. Like I when I saw it it was like instantly toward the top of my list and it's, you know, gradually moved its way down since then, but I still like it a whole bunch. Um it, it follows just, like, a perfectly textbook tag formula in which Mika Wada, the smallest and, like, least capable member of, of these four, uh, is isolated and worked over for a long period of time, and Chihiro has to carry the weight for her team, and these two outsider heels are, like, are playing up the fact that, like, they're they're the big bads here and are going to continue to be big bads throughout the year in Sunday Girls. And it was just, it unfolded naturally in a way that I thought was really rewarding um builds nicely to a 30 minute draw that i at least i thought like didn't drag at all like a a match that i didn't think was going to go to a draw and and when it happened it pleasantly surprised me um just a a a quality little match here
1: yeah i I have nothing but good things to say about it you're totally spot on that for it didn't didn't drag on for me either in terms of it being like going to a 30 minute draw and it didn't feel like plotting or drawn out or that it was like a, a predictable draw it you, know, it, it, you you got to that point and it's like, oh shit, I didn't even realize this was going on 20, 25 minutes yet. For me, my number 83 is Tommaso Ciampa versus Aleister Black from NXT TakeOver Phoenix.
0: What was
2: this, the Rumble? Um... That was Phoenix, right? Yeah, I think so.
1: Okay, I don't recall this at all. So, I can understand calling this boring. Which I think was like a lot of the criticism I saw of this. Um at the time at the time when this happened for me i thought it was i thought it was really solid work from both of these guys i think champa as a heel champ i didn't like the character mm. but he, it usually resulted in really good Ciampa performances i felt and this was and this was another one of one of these cases after champa had beaten alistair black for the belt sometime during the summer 2018 here's black coming back and this this match focuses a lot on uh on leg work on Aleister Black. And it sounds scary, like, oh shit, like Alistair Black, I'm not sure he's gonna sell the leg the way he should, but like <laughs> he but he did he really he did man, Alistair Black was really good selling throughout this, um, I thought Champa focus on the leg uh, focus on the leg very much, there are some creative spots here, like Champa suplexing Alistair black into the stairs, and ouster's likening the stairs, which which uh which starts the leg work here, so. Look, is it does it go longer than it should? Yeah, probably. Like I can understand being uh, like just not being into it to begin with. So you're already inclined not to like this match, and then on top of that, they're starting, they're going long too. So it really stands no chance for you. Sure. But if you come into this like willing to give it a chance, like it's a match where I like the ma- where I think the work is very, it can it can win you over here, and that's what it did for me. I'm, I wasn't the biggest Champa fan. And Alistair Black can be hit or miss, but I thought this—I thought this was really good work from both of these guys.
2: Hmm. My number eighty-three is a New Japan match, one of the only ones on my list. It's Jushin Liger taking on Minoru Suzuki. Minoru Suzuki <laughs> at King of Pro Wrestling twenty nineteen.
1: Not not on my list, but I'm very surprised. I'm not not surprised, but I'm very happy to see you on your list.
2: Yeah, it was it, it was kind of underwhelming. Um, especially in terms of like the build, like these guys were like really selling that this is going to be a crazy thing. And it sort of just didn't end up that way for eh, some obvious reasons, I guess. Um, but it still delivers on like what I want from these two, like delivers on a bunch of good striking, a bunch of big personality, stuff like that. Um, and especially like had a great post-match sequence, like with, uh, Suzuki, like bowing to Liger after like beating him pretty definitively and being clearly quite emotional about it. Um, it was a real rewarding thing for me as someone who really loves the new Japan that these guys came from um, and really loves the two of these guys. It, it was, it was nice to see them be able to have like this big final singles match between the two of them and, and to, to show respect for one another.
1: This, 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 the finish here, I think kind of like put everything in perspective where Liger was weighing over his head. Yeah. I think obviously at the time, like, People will, will complain about Liger and his and his like what it, like what he was doing in his last two matches in New Japan from this year. But if you just look at Liger's track record, like Liger is such a unselfish guy when it come, when it comes to what he does in professional wrestling. That you're like, man, like why did Liger just sort of get his ass kicked like this? And it's like, mm. Liger's a fucking junior heavyweight going up against a guy that many people in the on the heavyweight side of the roster mm. are like kayfabe scared of and terrified of, and. Liger bit off more than he could chew and he was foolish and he paid for it. Hmm. And yeah, like I think I think that goes back into what you were saying about like the um the build to it and they were just talking in a way where like there there was no possible way they could back it up. Hmm. But I think it's like it was Liger just saying things that he could not possibly back up, but he was so mad and wouldn't approve himself and everything that he said things that like he re- realistically wasn't gonna do to anybody. And I think from I think from that perspective I enjoyed it a lot. And on rewatch, I could've could have made my 100.
0: Hmm.
1: The number eighty two is a match I'm pretty sure you have higher, but it's Harashima versus Shinya Aoki from DDT Judgment.
2: Yes, we'll talk about that one tomorrow, I believe. And instead we can talk about a four way, number one contenders match from two oh five live. It's Oni Lorkin taking on Akira Tozawa, Drew Gulek, and Humberto Carrillo. That sounds really fun, but I didn't see it. Yeah, like it was that's the best way to describe it. It was just a big colorful, fun four way. Um does well to let these guys show off like what they're capable of without highlighting any of the flaws in their approaches, which is like, especially a big thing with a guy like Carrillo Um, and like, that's a really appealing thing when you have guys like Lorcan and Gulak and they're going against each other. They're going to appear facing each other on my list several times, uh, throughout this weekend. Um, but in particular, I wanted to highlight Akira Tozawa, who I think put in probably the best performance I've seen from him so far in WWE in this match, like um, really played up like some of his comedic elements and, and tied that in with like his appeal as like an underdog baby face, like a guy who is capable of a whole lot, but who doesn't necessarily look like it. Um, and all of these things together, like uh, made for like a really fun, fast paced little match that I enjoyed a whole lot.
1: Uh, and that was your 82? eighty-two. Yeah. All right. So my number eighty-one is another match. I think you're gonna. I think you're gonna have higher than me. Is Timothy Thatcher versus Jordan Devlin from Tisuch and is fucking dead. Oh, uh, this didn't make the list actually. Wow. Okay. So, like I, I'm stunned. Then that Ethan, All- Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs made major list, but this mm. didn't. Okay.
2: I mean, it was good. Like it just it didn't like pop in any particular way. It was a, it was exactly what you would expect from those guys.
1: I mean, yeah, sure, but if uh, for me, this is again like obviously not my favorite match on the show, as I still haven't said Luke oh, Jacobs God. versus Ethan Allen. But yeah, for this being exactly what you expect from these guys, it's still, and for my money, two of the best wrestlers in the world going out there and having
0: mm. a
1: match that two best, two of the best wrestlers in the world should ha- should have. When when it first got announced, one thing that crossed my mind is like, man, like how far Devlin has gotten mm. because. Imagine announcing something like this in 2016, totally, or like with Devlin versus Thatcher in some sort of shoot style setting. You'd like you scoff at this. It's like, like all right, Devlin's fine, but like, like really, like a shoot, like a shoot style setting match. But like, Devlin has so steadily and consistently improved on everything that you can buy this. Hmm. Not that he's like some sort of match for Thatcher, but if you were to approach this from like some sort of, sort of like. Actual fight standpoint, you could be like, oh well, Jordan Devlin actually is a really good striker. Hmm. So if you wanted to sit there and be like, Thatcher clearly has a mat advantage. Well, Jordan Devlin has this four punch combo that could really that could really work here. Hmm. oh I wonder what's going to happen. And I think that that's how I approached this here is that for me this really felt like a eventual style clash where Thatcher clearly has the advantage on the mat. But if Thatcher tried to uh, try to stand there and bang with Jordan Devlin, that Jordan Devlin had the advantage. So that was that was the aspect of the match that I was really really looking forward to the most. I think everything else about it was really good. The mat work is intense. I love the finish. I love I love the selling here. I love how in these shoot style adjacent settings, uh, stuff that stuff that doesn't doesn't usually get treated with the same respect will get treated as like knockout quality moves. And I, that's, that's something I really like about the about the tattoo, tattoo shows. Hmm. So for me, this this is really good. Totally get it. it. doesn't jump off the page, but it's two of the best wrestlers in the world doing what they should be doing. And that was enough for me.
2: Mm-hmm. That's similarly how I would describe my number 81. It's another intergender match from our friends at beyond wrestling in a first round match in the treasure hunt tournament from February. It's a David star ticket on Chris Statlander. It was really solid, but it didn't make my list. Um, so this fits into that. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess we would call it the star bully formula here we are coming, oh, coming full circle with chris Hero, <laughs> but um it, <laughs> that formula we're familiar with, with the guy of him like smothering a younger or smaller or less experienced or somehow just like lower ranked wrestler um before getting his ass beat by them um something we see a whole lot from this dude uh and that combined with statlander who is like a really great baby face and who especially has um has like a strong connection with women and children which is something we see in this match like it makes for something that's really appealing um like there's a couple of kids in this in this crowd who are just like cheering her on every step of the way and star notices and like specifically points them out and and is like being this great heel and it just builds and builds and builds to like a really pleasing finish where Statlander like moves on in a tournament no one expected her to eventually win and it was just um Sorry, I'm getting something in my throat. <laughs> this isn't like an emotional match or anything. It's just, <laughs> <coughs> pardon me, Lord. But yeah, like it. It was. It was just really fun, and it was like everything I want from these two.
1: Yeah, this. This is another one where I think David Starr really impressed me a lot with these with the intergender matches that he had this year. Uh-huh. And I think that this is the first. I think it was the first one. Yeah, that he had in he had in twenty nineteen. But the dude was great all year working working those kind of matches. My number. Eighty is Artemis Spencer versus shaft from Defy, August twenty third. Oh, I didn't see this. Artemis Spencer, you're familiar with, like mm-hmm. the guy that's like super good at everything. Yep. So, but in that same vein, you don't really get to see Artemis Spencer be sort of the aggressor in a match in a, in a match very often, especially in the match where the other guy has a size adva- has a size advantage over Artemis Spencer. So what you have here is Artemis Spencer, the ace of Defy, the top the top guy in the company. Um, after you had guys like Shane, like Shane Strickland there, who already had the sort of name value when Defy was running, Artemis Spencer is the first homegrown guy of Defy, I would say. Yeah. And here he is, very long into this reign, and Schaff, who has worked his way up through the card, is getting the title shot, and Artie just takes it to him, man. No, like, no, like, real, like, pretense of like we're gonna try this mat work and see what Shaft can do on the mat. Artie's here to make sure he keeps this title. He isn't here to play these games and do it and do everything. He wants to win, and I think that urgency really is what sets this match apart for me. Because this would would have just been a really good match for ref for reference. Like, I had Artemis Spencer versus T.J. Perkins from ECCW on my list, um, at, at one at one at one point or another. And it was very good. Hmm. But I think why I ultimately chose this match and then like dropped that off is that this is much more memorable because it's a deviation from what you expect from Artie to be. Hmm. It's a deviation from what you expect most things to be. Like when you think of big guy, little guy, you're not expecting little guy to be the aggressor. You get that sometimes in Davis Starr versus Walter. You've gotten that in Daniel Bryan versus Sheamus. But that's not something you you see that explored very often. I think Artie doing that and really shining up Shaft in a nice way for Shaft's eventual title win. It's really great. It's one of the best, it's one of the best moments I saw from Defy this year. Um, and for something that could have like felt a little flat considering that, I think Artie, even, even in the region is regarded as one of the best wrestlers in the region and right. giving and giving the belt and giving the belt to Shaft, who's sort of an unproven guy is like, Oh, like, are we sure we're going to do this? But like already shines the guy up just as good as you could have hoped for. And it leads to a really cool moment and a really great atmosphere.
2: Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, Daniel Bryan there, and my number 80 is the first of a couple matches from him on my list. It's a gauntlet match from the great state of Indiana, the scenic Binker's Life Fieldhouse in Indianapolis. Uh, it's Kofi Kingston taking on Randy Orton, Cesaro, Samoa Joe,
1: Eric Rowan, Sheamus, and Daniel Bryan. Yeah, this is the, this is from that really fun run of Kofi stuff on SmackDown, mm-hmm. but it didn't, it didn't make my list.
2: Yeah, like this was... Um, not the first, but just one of many great Kofi performances over the uh, spring. I think, this, I think this was the first, right? No, the uh, Elimination Chamber preceded this. Oh, okay, 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 okay. This is a gauntlet on SmackDown from a, a couple weeks later, I guess. Um, And, like, this match um, continues on with that story, and it plays, like, very directly to, like, the situation at hand, as well as, like the situation of this match which is part of why i like it so much like so much of what you see in wrestling these days is people like kind of pretending that they aren't so tired as they should be or alternately pretending that they're way more tired than they probably are and it it makes for just like a whole bunch of like um it's supposed to be like dramatic moments but it always just feels goofy to me and instead like kofi approaches this one like approaches the prospect of like trying to defeat six guys uh almost all of them were like bigger than him um he approaches that like the way that he should as like a veteran who is like quite small and who has not, you know, not been presented as like terribly capable throughout his career. And like it gets harder and harder from him as the match goes on. And it makes him like more and more endearing as this baby face. And it was, it was just great. Like it was a long, like 45 minutes on TV gauntlet match. Um, but like there were no slip ups that I recall. And it, it, it like delivered um, the middle chapter of like what proved to be like one of the most rewarding stories of the year.
1: Yeah, I can't say I remember too much about this, but everything about that run on SmackDown was some of the most fulfilling TV that the WWE had done uh-huh. in quite some time. So I'm curious to see how much more of this if you have one wind up having it on your list. My uh, number seventy nine is Kylie Ray versus Tessa Blanchard from Zello Pro on January fourth.
2: Quentin, I cannot believe you would have a racist on your wrestler the, or your uh, match of the year list.
1: Yeah, I can't believe Kylie Ray made it this far. Oh. Um, <laughs> But That's a b- bad joke, <laughs> <laughs> um, Kylie's great, <laughs> <laughs> no nah, man um, Kylie and Tessa, well, Kylie's always been really good, for, mm-hmm. for like like I'll say, like Kylie from the time I saw her has been great, sure. but Tessa is someone that we might not talk about as frequently on here, but you know, despite you know maybe using some slurs, Tessa has It's just been real shitty about it, too, yeah, <laughs> but like Tessa has been a very steadily improving wrestler over the last couple of years. Uh Uh-huh. And it really shined here when they do this two or three falls match. And I'm like, okay, well I know Kylie can work on the mat. What are they gonna do here with Tessa? Right. And Tessa is keeping up with her step for step, beat for beat here. I was really impressed by that. And there's some there's some really good there's some really cool um arm and hand work here that i think that i think that i think is really good uh tessa as a character there's, there's more around the time where she's still working heel mostly mm. so tessa and her natural heel ways i think is um like a perfect like a perfect counter for kylie ray and just how lovable of a baby face she is
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know the ultimate surprise here is that kylie winds up beating her two two falls straight in that, with all of like with all of Tessa's arrogance and Tessa's co- overconfidence here, and Tessa's uh, dominance here as 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 the, the Zelo Pro Champion, when she eventually drops the belt, she drops it in the strongest way possible, and that's losing two straight falls to Kylie Ray, mm. and it's a shame because you know Kylie Ray winds up getting signed, so. Mm. A lot of the stuff that Kylie Ray was meant to do or could have done, like you know, have a stronger reign as Pro Champion, and who knows who she who she would have got to face, or her reign Freelance Champion and how that got cut short. Mm-hmm. Who knows how good Kylie Ray's 2019 would have been? But this was one of those matches that was a really good step in the right direction for Kylie Ray.
2: was your number uh, seventy nine? Correct? Yeah. Okay, my number seventy nine is a match that you're probably gonna have higher than me. It's John Moxley versus Tomohiro Ishii from the G1
1: Climax. Not as high as you think, but we're going to talk about it tonight. Okay. All right. So my number is seventy-eight is a match I have no clue how you feel about, but it's David Starr versus Walter from OTT WrestleRama. Didn't uh, didn't like this. This
2: was probably not my least favorite of their matches, but it's further down the list.
1: So this can be called the sort of NXT takeover version of a David Starr versus Walter match. Sure, and like, and like that isn't wrong, but I think in that I still I I, I there's this still David Starr and Walter, it's still two of the best wrestlers on earth, I think, and it's like there's still a really good match here. This isn't as high as the um sixteen carat match they had for me, but like but, but this is still two of the best wrestlers on the earth on earth having a strong match, playing off of previous matches and playing off of what their characters are in OTT, um. Walter and Jordan Devlin had recently buried the hatchet, so you're not getting <laughs> you're not getting you're not getting as strongly of a heel Walter mm. as you as on as on paper you might be expecting here. And at this point in time, David Starr is still being presented as a heel. Mm. Um, this match might be remembered more so for the fact that David Starr steps on the NXT UK title <laughs> and. You know, that's really the whole turning point in, you know, what in the David Starr Devlin feud. Yeah. That, you know, but the, in spite of the extra shit that goes on, in spite of how like the crowd reaction like in this match really fucks up things down the line, like Sure. <laughs> I, st- I I still really like this match. I enjoy the false finish. I think the reaction to it as far as like it's like this oh. big it's like this big ovation at first. And then it's like there's like a smattering of booze, and then Jordan Devlin, who like, you know, you can say he's, like, yeah, you can say he's a caller. Yeah, like he's a cop caller, but like snitch. <laughs> <the> worst. <laughs> yeah, but like Jordan Devlin gets shit on for like, hey, um, no. <laughs> yeah. But I, I, I still, I still really enjoy this man. This is definitely one of the one of the lesser star mm-hmm. versus Walters, but again, it's still the best wrestlers in the world, I think, and it's still a really good match.
2: Yeah. All right, my uh, 78 is a match that I don't think you even saw. It's uh, El Desperado taking on Jun Kasai from the Taka and Taiichi Produce, Taka taichi Mania 2.
1: I did not as I am firmly anti Taichi, but this sounds fun. Well, I mean Taka's there, he's fine. I mean I mean yeah, but I can I can I can't support anything Taichi.
2: I, does. I, I I hear you, but like Taichi wasn't in this match, so I watched it and I had a lot of fun with it. Um it was it was like a fresh thing, was really like how I would describe it. Like, it was, um, I think Despy's fine. Like, he's never really stood out to me in a huge way outside of maybe some of his CMLL stuff. His, uh, Namahage, is that correct? I think that's right. Um, and he comes in here facing a deathmatch legend in what very quickly becomes like a hardcore match and totally gets his ass kicked. Um, and becomes like the biggest babyface in the world in front of like to talk on taiichi fans you know people who are like uh big suzuki gun uh, suzuki gun marks um who get uh super behind him here in cork and hall um and like it makes for like a really fun uh baby heel not, not even really a babyface heel but like a babyface versus dominating aggressor match with like kasai really feeling himself and like just doing his normal thing and despy like trying to um trying to adjust to a new style of match and it going very poorly for him. Like, you might recall that he gets injured here and goes on the shelf for, like, five or six months. Um, But it was... um, It made for, like, a really dramatic match, like, with a couple of restarts from referee Kyohei Wada. And uh, it was... Yeah, like, it was... It took me by surprise, and, and I enjoyed it a lot.
1: All right, so my number 77 is a match I don't think you saw either, but it's Isaiah Velasquez versus Project Monix from uh from freelance and i'm for i'm blanking on and i'm blanking on the show but it was their last show 2019 okay yeah this is all you i didn't see this yeah so project minus is a guy that like he's been in freelance for some time now but he's never been a guy that stood out for me and Isaiah, we both love Isaiah. he's been a, he's been a, he's been a linchpin in freelance for for years now and a guy that everyone's like has clamored for has clamored to break out and do other things around around the region around the scene uh uh-huh. but they're embroiled in this, feud, in this feud here, this feud under, And it's, it's a great it's a great Isaiah's performance in the fact that like I've never cared about Monix before, but mm. in this wild, bloody brawl where Monix does this great blade job, it makes me care about Monix in a way I've never had before. Isaiah's is back to his heel ways. He's back to having goons backing him and all that stuff. And Monix has to overcome these odds. And he does, and it's wild. The crowd is really into it i mentioned the blade job but the dude is really bleeding a ton in this mm. and isaiah is especially nasty and condescending and really back to his roots and back to doing what made him such a stro- such a strong character back in 2016 and i was very glad to see this and see that isaiah still has a side to him mm-hmm. and it's, it's a match that pleasantly surprised me just because i haven't been a big monics guy but it's something that i would very strongly recommend
2: all right, my seventy-seven uh, was a match. I'm not sure that you saw. I'm not sure that anyone saw it because it was on a fake TV show. It's a British Rounds match on NXT UK between Sid Scala, someone that they made up like a false wrestler, and <laughs> Cassius Ono. No, this this is good. But I didn't didn't make my list. Um, it's a real one-sided affair. Uh, but that is perfectly fine with me because. The guy whose side is whose side it is is Keshisono, uh, and I fucking love him, and I love a British rounds match, and he just totally comes in here like stomps all over this fake person, um, makes him look like makes him look like a contender, just enough to make for, like, an interesting match, an inter- like, a match that isn't just, like, an extended squash, even if that's really what it is, if you, you know, you know, you lay out everything that happens on paper. Um, and it was just, like, tons of fun on a show that, like, I end up watching too much of in 2019.
1: This, this isn't your only NXT UK match, right? Nope, there's uh, at least two more. All right. All right, so my number 76 is a match you might have higher just because it's two of your guys, but it's John Moxley versus Juice Robinson from the G1 Climax August
2: 11th. <laughs> oh, yeah, this is a lot higher. All right. Uh, my 76 is uh, another pair of guys that you and I both enjoy a whole lot, but who sort of disappeared at certain points in 2019. It's Fuminori Abe taking on Takuya Nomura from BJW's show in uh, January. This is, this is the match that
1: was, like, clipped, right? Or yes, the, the... it
2: initially was clipped down from, like, 15-ish minutes to, like, 7, and oh. then showed up in full, I believe, later on in the year. I didn't get to see it in full, and that's part of why it's so low on this list, but, yeah, like, 7 minutes of the usual stuff from this matchup, two of the, the best, like, hardest-hitting kids on the scene today, like, was plenty good to make it onto my list.
1: All right, So my number 75, then, is uh, Barbara Cavanario versus Sobrano Jr. from *Fantastic* Mania, January 18th.
2: Uh we're going to talk about that one later tonight. And okay. instead, we could talk about a different Sobrano Jr. match. It's him defending the uh, Mexican National Welterweight title against Negro Casas from the um, CML Sunday show on June the 2nd. I really like this. This was a cool match, but didn't make my list. It was... I didn't like this at first. Like I thought it had a real slow start. I thought the Primera and Segunda were kind of clunky in a lot of ways. Like it it showed, it showed the ways in which like Casas is getting older and it showed the ways that, um, Soberano is still a fairly inexperienced guy. Um, and it wasn't really the best showing for either of those dudes, but, uh, in the Tercera, they decided to just beat the fuck out of each other and it made for a great match. Um, like, watching Casas, like, really dig into his Rudo roots, like, watching him, like, just become the biggest dickhead in the wrestling world again. Um, and beating the hell out of a younger guy who is willing to stick with him every step of the way and and throw some good punches back. And it, it, it made for a great finishing stretch.
1: Yeah, this this is something where, once I, when I, when I saw this pop up, I'm like, oh, hell yeah. Like, Soberano Jr. and Negro Casas. Like, this is something, totally. like, something I'm all about. And from the jump, like, I didn't, again, it didn't, it didn't blow me away as great but just a really pleasant match to throw on when in a year when CMLL didn't have a lot of those. Um, my number seventy-five, my number seventy-four. Then is I'm pretty sure you don't have this on your list, but it's Jay White versus Kazuchika Okada from Wrestle Kingdom thirteen.
2: Nope, uh, I thought about it because this was like pretty cool, but on
1: second blush, I think I liked this a lot less. This 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 ties back in a lot to um, the Okada story from twenty eighteen. Mm-hmm. Obviously, this is Wrestle Kingdom. So this is like not far from far removed from like the Okada stuff that was going on at the time. So a lot of the concern going into this match was that oh, Okada this is like Okada just going to win here hmm. and all this story was just, you know, it was didn't really matter cuz Okada just going to get his win back at Wrestle Kingdom and all that Business
2: stuff. Business as usual.
1: Right. And I and I got it, but I think the fact that like Okada had just lost to Tanahashi, hmm. like is what I, is what made me like made me think like yeah no no Okada's losing this, but I get it. there was a lot of doubt just because Okada hasn't been booked that way the last few years as a as a as a as a more as a vulnerable guy, but here we go, and Okada comes out and it's a small thing you know guess something that guess a small thing that became a big thing, I guess, but Okada has the long pants on, and he rips them off to unveil like the short the shorter trunks, short boys, please yes my bad um and it's like oh shit old okada's back okada's fixed like he's back he's back to normal you figure this thing out jay white push him to the brink and he's ready to just put this guy behind him and it's worked that way it's worked really it's worked really urgently it's worked like a feud these guys don't like these guys don't like each other okada's taking swipes at gato when he's every time he can and it's a really aggressive Okada in a way that you don't really get to see very often. It's not often that he's the guy that's like a few years, the senior of someone at this point, mm. as he's still like, even though that even though Okada is in his thirties, he's still one of the younger guys on the, on on the roster. And here he is really taking the younger guy to the woodshed here. And you watch it. And it's like, shit, man. Like Okada just might put this guy away. And here we go. Full steam ahead on the Okada train. And it's not, and I, think, and I think that's why it makes my list. Because if this was just Okada winning, it wouldn't make my list. Mm. But this goes back to the story they were telling you for a, for for about six months up to that point, is that losing the belt really did mess with Okada. And here he is, he got caught off guard, and he gets hit with the Blade Runner, and one, two, three, Jay White wins for the biggest win of his career up to that point. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't shocked by it, just because I predicted Jay White to win going going into it. Sure. But like again, like the, the you can't deny the reaction of it. You can't deny the reaction it got. You can't deny that in the Tokyo Dome, the biggest show of the year, the crowd is like, "Oh shit, Jay White won!" And I think for that and just how well the match was worked, I I couldn't leave it off my list. I think this is a really, really a uh, useful match that they that they put together this year
2: yeah like i um when i revisited it i think i found myself sort of bored by it mechanically but at least in terms of like i guess not wrapping up but like furthering that okada story from 2018 like i thought this did a way better job than just about anything we saw in 2018 like i thought it was a much more interesting idea of him presenting as if he is finally over the hump and then coming to realize like oh no i still have a long way to go i thought that was a good i thought that was a real cool thing We'll so my number my number seventy-four is uh the sequel to a match that you referred to earlier. It's Gary J versus Thomas Shire from the St. Louis Anarchy show No Church on the Wild from November the eighth.
1: Really really good, but I was going like this less than the match I had earlier on my list, so it just yeah. missed it.
2: Same. Uh this was it's kinda hard it's kinda weird to talk about this match without talking about the first one first, but whatever. Um I like this one as a big deviation from that bloody match in May that we're gonna get to eventually. Um, that one was kind of like a real back and forth affair, real fast paced thing. This one's a little bit slower, almost too slow at times, I think. But or, or no, I'm sorry. Like, um, this one I think would have benefited from going a little bit slower because it's Shire in control for so long. Uh, big huge dude from Texas, like beating down on uh, this local babyface, a guy who is honestly one of the most over babyfaces in all of american wrestling at this point point. Um, and they made for like a really cool match like with shire a guy who was impressed the hell out of me in 2019 like pulling out stuff that i didn't think he was going to be capable of um and jay like working through his usual formula of just being like a really solid underdog babyface and the two guys like Beating the shit out of each other, taking like some crazy bumps into s- steel chairs on the floor, like <laughs> just stuff that they should not be doing. Um, and it made for uh, something that wasn't like quite so impressive as their first match, but like another strong outing from a matchup that I'm that I'm liking a whole lot.
1: Yeah, you know, like we're, like we're gonna have more to say when it comes to talking about their big match from May, but like, like like these two have really good chemistry and I, I was I was really surprised and just happy with the finding that Gary that Gary J and Thomas Shire have that sort of like chemistry that you would that you would hope for like Gary J is a guy that like I'll say that outside of the warhorse matches he leaves he leaves me cold a lot of the time sure so I was really surprised and happy to see that Gary J like went to something else I was like okay like now I like now I really like this other stuff that he's doing too uh my number seventy three Comes from the best wrestler in the world, Io Shirai, versus Candice LeRae from NXT Takeover Toronto. Which one is Toronto? Is that the SummerSlam show? Uh, I think. I so. want to say. I want to say it is. uh F- yeah, I think so. That yeah, this also had Gargano, Cole three.
2: Yeah, so this would have been SummerSlam weekend. Uh, I I'm sure I watched this, but I don't have any recollection of it.
1: So this is really this is really fast paced. Really, um, really energetic here, and that's really what, you, like, really exactly what you'd want from Io Shirai and, Cand- and Candice LeRae, and especially at this point where it's not like these two are getting like big story time either. Io Shirai just turned heel; uh, this this is her first big outing, getting, getting to do this, and this match is sort the turning the turning point in Io Shirai's WWE career, um, because even in the even in the cage match with Shayna Baszler that both that made both of our hundreds, the. EO isn't as over as you would hope for. Uh And, you know, this sort of, like, you know, a testament to what, to how, like, the brain poisoning of, you know, wrestling fans up up to this point. But, you know, it takes takes a heel turn for people to start cheering EO Shirai. And EO deserves it. She's one of the best wrestlers in the world. She might still be the best wrestler in the world. But here we are, and EO finally is getting, like, the proper respect and, and, like, reception she deserves. And Candice LeRae, it's finally getting to do something. Candice Array had got a title match versus Shayna Baszler earlier in the year. And this 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 was no it was earlier in the year. I think a few months out. I think it might have been a few months after this. But um Candace O'Reilly finally getting to do some stuff in twenty nineteen too. And I think this was a match that really could like really reminded some people that EO and Candace are incredible workers because Candace hadn't gotten to do much at all in NXT. EO Shirai had got off to a slow start. So you're like, okay, now these two go at it and they tear the house down, have the best match on the show. And like I said, it's very frenetic, fast paced. You call it a moves match. Um, sort of spot fest adjacent, but there's a lot of personality here, a lot of charisma. And they went over a crowd all being the, um, the only non-title match on the show. Mm. And, you know, being behind stuff like uh, Shana versus, I think there's, this was Shayna versus Mia Yim, Cole versus Gargano three in, I think, I think there might have been Nah, I think there's just some Roddy matches on here too. Sure. But but they really won this crowd over in a way that I wouldn't have expected and really changed the trajectory of both of their NXT careers.
2: Yeah, like there's not um there's not going to be a ton of evidence of it on this list at the very least, but I think like the NXT Women's Division had like a surprisingly good year, especially on TV. Like I think um I think the the women that they had put in a lot of good work. Um, and made for a lot of like fun, refreshing matches, despite like a lot of the same
1: matchup over and over again. Um, I was I was gonna say that it's like, yeah, it's not gonna reflect in like matches, mm. but if you just watched it and just like tuned in every now and then, totally. You no know, me, you no know, Bianca. Bianca took strides. Here we are with EO finally getting her getting getting her getting her wing getting her wings going, and. You know, Rhea Ripley being being a late addition mm-hmm. to the to the roster, and I think that's I think that, I think that's going to show up more in 2020 as I think as I think they're going to probably load up div- like load up div- the women's division more. I mean, I, like I don't know if you I don't think I doubt you saw it, but the uh, women's battle royal from the NXT episode on uh on on um the fifteenth as we're as we're recording this, you look at it it's like man, that's such a great roster of women to have right now, mm. and I think 2020 is going to show the fruits of that labor more, but in 2019 they laid some great groundwork and i think that's probably the best example of that hmm.
2: so that was your 73 yeah okay my number 73 is a match that you're probably going to have a fair bit higher it's another match from the ott contenders shows uh it's david star taking on Terry thatcher
1: oh i have this
2: way way higher all right instead then we can talk about a fun little tag match from ddt Uh, which is the Moonlight Express team, Mao and Speedball Mike Bailey, taking on Harishima and Shinya Aoki from June the 30th.
1: Yeah, fun match. It didn't make my list.
2: Yeah, nice little Korkin mid-card match, I want to say. Quick little thing between four guys I like a whole bunch. Um, Four guys who like have a lot of stylistic overlap, but who feel like very distinct wrestlers if you put them together in a lineup. Um, And so, like, mechanically, like, action-wise, whatever you want to say, like, this had a lot of fun stuff in it, uh, but I wanted to highlight the fact that it also dug into some great comedy, uh, specifically highlighting the fact that, like, Aoki is very new to pro wrestling in general. Um, So you'd have, like, Harashima in control of this match is like, probably, like, the highest-ranking guy of all these four um uh trying to get his partner to do like these complicated double team moves and aoki being completely lost and like somehow uh fumbling his way into doing exactly what Harishima wanted despite the fact that like he's allowing his opponents to like come back on him it was just like a whole it was just a fun little like three stooges routine to like watch these guys work together um and and like point out and work around the fact that one of them is way less experienced than the others. And it was it was a lot of fun on top of like providing exactly the sort of spotty action I wanted.
1: Yeah, this is one of the rare instances where FLX like Speedball got to be speedball and got to really show up in 2019 where like, he had good matches, but it's it was it was such a disappointing drop off for the guy after having such a good 2018. Uh my number seventy two then is Jacob Fatsu versus LA Park from MLW November second, which I think is Herod night super fight. I did not see this. So you you might be a little bit more bullish on Fatu than I think than I think other people are. Uh huh. But I think I think you I think you find some find some enjoyment out of this. Um two big, gigantic guys having a slugfest. There's there's blood, um blood, air horns, Ooh. you know, <laughs> to la la park's tope hmm. weapons plunder um selena de la renta go through a table um okay. like it, it's it's a really it's a really fun plunder match from from two guys that do some athletic things that they shouldn't be doing at their size you know sure park is a guy that like you kind of forget is like a fucking 300 pounder that it is old too like he's not a young guy yeah like an old like 50 year old 300 300 pounder that yeah. is still that still has one of the best topees in wrestling and Jacob Fatu was an absolute freak of nature that can do a Sasuke special, like <laughs> you know what I mean. Like, in on top, like, it's, like it has fun fireworks, it has a great atmosphere. But it's, but at its core, I think it's a really fun and nasty brawl. It feels it feels like a big deal. I think a lot. I think a lot of wrestling uh, this year didn't feel like it didn't feel like it was important or anything. Sure. I think Jacob Fatu and the way he buzzed through Tom Lawler. I think LA Park and the aura that he's built up for himself really all culminated in this in this event where Jacob Fatu cleanly beats um, LA LA Park for the most part, and LA Park for for how much he's protected himself that doesn't happen very often. Hmm. So you get to see this happen here, and that really solidifies Jacob Fatu as being the guy here in MLW for from the, from this time on. Because like like I said, you're like, when's the last time you saw LA Park take a, take a fall? Totally.
2: Uh, do you have any other MLW on your list?
1: No, that was it. I considered it Thatcher versus Loki but didn't mm. but didn't do enough for me to get there.
2: That's the thing, is like they put together stuff that like on paper looks like something I'd be interested in, but like um uh, this year especially, outside of like one of the key versus Lawler matches, which didn't even make my list, like all of it was just so underwhelming to me. It never it never came together the way that I'd want those matchups to come
1: together. Did you see Thatcher versus Key? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, I mean, other than other than that, and other than that, in this five two park match, yeah, nothing else in MLW really hit that next level for me. But I told, but I totally get it. It's like, hmm. it's 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 good, but then like you expect like for you, like I imagine like Timothy Thatcher and Loki, like oh shit, yeah. like 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 that like that's, like that's gonna be totally my shit possible top ten match of the year for me, yeah. And then it's totally. like then it's like don't even make your top one hundred. Like like it it should be something that like
2: it should be something that is foolproof and i didn't even review it you know do what you, i mean do you think that's like
1: the environment or is it like
2: part think... of it is like I, I don't like their crowds and i don't like the fact that they run they specifically like run kind of small shows um like i think it really works against them uh their production i don't love either and like there were specific aspects of that in thatcher versus key if that's going to be on your list we'll talk about that later like there's just a lot of just
1: little problems it, it wasn't i wasn't on my list but like what were some of those problems with Thatcher key like like camera cuts or whatever
2: uh, like the fact that they had this like cut in from uh Fatu and oh oh different... yeah, that was super fucking annoying. Like that that by itself wouldn't be a huge deal, but it was the fact that like the match clearly understood that that was gonna happen and worked around that, which meant like this big long uh rest spot right in the middle that like totally felt um it totally like ruined any of the momentum that the match had had, and for whatever reason like those two guys like didn't feel like they were going at it with their full vigor with their full abilities to begin with and so like when that comes along it's just like it kills the whole thing dead for me
1: yeah yeah totally like that like that in particular like you mentioned the, the contra cut in was like yeah really oddly long and it, yeah. and it didn't kill the and it didn't kill the match for me but I totally understand like compounding it with the other issues like like, well, like why that eventually like you didn't even review the match which totally I, I didn't even realize until just now it's Thatcher versus Loki okay. <laughs> god I should love that <laughs> All right, what's your 72? Well, no, that should be your 71, I think.
2: Uh, Yeah, my 71 is uh, Drew Gulak defending the WWE Cruiserweight Championship on 205 Live versus Isaiah Scott. Oh, shit. Okay, we got a Shane Strickland match on your list. Mm Mm-hmm, surprisingly so. Not a guy that I've really liked a whole lot throughout his career, um, especially not as of late. Um, But this was, like, one of the more surprising matches of the year. Like, a match where... um, it felt like his general approach to wrestling actually felt warranted for once. Like uh, Gulak comes in, this being one of like the big coming out matches of his big heel routine over the summer. Um, He comes in guns blazing, like really takes it to Scott on the mat, like really um, steamrolls him. Scott, even being a guy who's like surprisingly good at technical wrestling, like still gets real beat down. Um, And Gulak, like, Uh, combines that with a whole bunch of striking and it's just totally dominating the guy and scott takes a second to like regroup and transition into uh uh something a little faster a little speedier a little more high flying oriented that like uh suits his purposes and like the way they did that felt really natural to me um in a way that like i have never felt in any of shane Strickland's matches really uh it felt like he was actually trying something new to combat the fact that like gulak was coming at him so hard and it was coming at him in such a domineering way like it 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 felt like it was not just him saying okay this is my turn to do my spots it was like a strategic um thought process that he had and it and it made for like a really rewarding uh really enjoyable uh tv title match
1: yeah i really like this i think you like you and simon who both aren't Strickland guys yeah really like this so i think that's like as good of a stamp for this match, as you as you could probably get, I have a Strickland match on my list that isn't this, and we'll talk about it. And we'll talk about it later, but I think it it does it does these things that you're talking about Strickland now in a way that I've enjoyed and I've enjoyed from him enjoyed from him in the past against guys like um against guys like Zach and Fred Yehai, mm-hmm. and I wonder I'll wonder if you have seen it, but uh, I do have I do have him once on my list. Okay, mm-hmm. so my number seventy one. Is Trent Seven versus Walter from Progress Super Strong Style sixteen day two? I meant to see this and I never got around to it. Um, you know, Trent Seven might have the best Walter match between everyone else in British Strong Style. It's a wild. Um, do I think that's true? I mean, no. I have, I like, I have, I really like the bait match from Progress, and um, but but th- but this is this is this is this is one of those matches where. I feel like people that like convinced themselves that like Trent Seven was a bad was a bad wrestler. Like, I I do I do think the show's his strengths. Sure. I do, I do think Trent is a much better babyface than anyone Absolutely. else anyone else is super anyone else anyone else in British strong style is. Yeah, I think Trent has a um sort of a, like a, affable and a, affable and likable side to him that Pete and Tyler don't have. In and that makes Trent a guy that can eat shit a lot of the time.
0: Mm-hmm. Trent
1: can be a heel that's super cocky and arrogant and gets knocked out in seven seconds, or Trent can be a really determined babyface that you don't take seriously, but he has a lot of fight and passion and hunger in him. And leading up to this, Trent did some pro- Trent did promos talking about how people think he just people think Walter's just gonna run right through him, and how. Trent is gonna put up his put up his Atlas title on the line and there's gonna be be, be a unification match and that he's gonna walk out he's gonna walk out the winner and Walter just does this does not take him seriously at all this is one of my favorite Walter performances of the year he's super nasty and mean and dismissive of of Trent here
0: mm-hmm.
1: in in a super strong style 16 field where I wasn't particularly excited for a lot of the stuff coming out of it other than like the stuff that yeah. Devlin and Star were doing this was a match that just out of curiosity, I watched it, and I didn't see too many rave reviews about it. If anything, I saw like negative reviews coming about the finish. But I watched. What it, was you know, the finish? Um, some some sort of like screwy thing that like that, that wasn't that wasn't very conclusive. I think might have been like mm. a like a like something involving the ropes. Um, which I saw people pan- panning online. Okay. So uh, coming into this, I wasn't expecting anything, but I really liked their performances. Both guys turned in. This is the nastiest Walter you see all year. This, I mean, arguably, there's there's one other match that I could, that I could see the case for, but yeah, I think I think this is a match that really surprised some people about Trent Seven, and I talked about it with Mark Haskins and how I don't think history's going to treat him very fairly. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing's going to happen with Trent Seven. I think he's a guy that like he, he might not be great in the same in the same way a lot of a lot of other people were, but he was such a he's been such a good utility player for that scene <laughs> in a way a lot of other people also were, also weren't yeah that you know i, I just i just wish he's a guy that got that got more credit and you know it's not gonna happen
2: all right so my number 70 is a match that i think you enjoyed but I, as far as i know it didn't make your list it's a two out of three falls match on wwe smackdown between Rey mysterio and andrade almas
1: two or three falls yeah. Okay. I, I gotta remember which one, which one is this. Uh,
2: so this is the second of their two big matches in January.
1: Um, is this the eighth? This is
2: on the twenty second.
1: Twenty second. Yeah. I don't have. I don't have this one.
2: Uh, I like this one more than the first one. The first one had some good stuff in it, but I think was like really dragged down by um, just the nature of like WWE television and how that compounds with like. Uh, some of the things that I dislike about Lucha Libre pacing. Um, and I think this match like does a lot to fix that with the two out of three falls format. Like I think it helps uh, cordon off things in, in specific ways that do a lot of good for these two guys. Um, and in doing so, it, it allows these guys just to go out there and do what they do best, which is a whole bunch of spots. Um, spots specifically that highlight like their i guess you would describe it as like a stylistic difference but really it's it's more of like a um an ideological difference between uh their time periods that they came up in lucha libre like um ray comes from the 90s and is like a very small guy even by lucha standards so like he's always wrestled fairly defensively um and almas is like kind of larger uh, as far as lucha doors are concerned. Um and has spent basically his entire career as a Rudo, so like he totally just like smears the mat with Rey. Um and that fits together in a fun way, but also like highlights like the fact that like they came up like twenty years apart and that's like a big deal. Um I wish this had like a conclusive finish. Like it I really don't think there was any need to to segue into the Samoa Joe Rey Mysterio feud with an interference finish here. Yeah, but there
1: was no reason at all.
2: <laughs> it was just completely needless. You could have just done, like, an attack after the match. Um, but aside from that, like, this was tons of fun. It was, like, one of the better bangers on WWE TV this year.
1: Yeah, I've, I've, I really I really did enjoy it. I have the first match they had higher. Um, but, yeah, like, these two have really great chemistry in... Mm-hmm. I, think, I like I like what you pointed out there. So like the ideological idea, um, ideological differences, and also just like what they're forced to do based off what based off their size. On like like Ray like Ray was a prodigy level guy talent wise, but on is like the whole package. Like he's totally. he's size, he's striking, he's flying, he's all that. Looks stuff. Looks great. Yeah, like so it it just looks great too, on TV, and it's it's the most like most authentic. Um, presentation of like a lucha libre style thing they've had in such a long time yeah like,
2: like you you think back to like what they did with like alberto del rio and Sankara, like that never felt right and like occasionally you would you would get something like adr versus kalisto yeah and it sort of worked but like this this totally blows it out of the water
1: all right so my number 70 is ethan allen versus luke jacobs from, from tesuja is fucking dead so um I think this was your first time seeing Luke Luke Jacobs and Ethan Allen, right?
2: Mm -hmm. This was,
1: I had no clue who these guys were. So, as someone that was somewhat familiar with these guys, I wasn't surprised that these two went out there and, like, did what they did, just because, like, I know like, tag tag team familiar with each other, Um, Manchester guys framed by Chris Ridgway, so just knowing that, I was like, okay, like, these two are probably going to go out there and have, like, a really solid match, and you know, maybe like maybe showcase some stuff. What I didn't expect was for people to come back raving from the show, mm. like, "Holy shit, Luke Jaggers and Ethan Allen might have just saved British wrestling." Like, yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> like, yeah, like, like I didn't expect that at all. It was a match that was had like had such ripples through it that Toss, who was um refereeing a lot, uh, refereeing a lot of stuff on Tetsujin. Immediate immediately came back and talked to WXW higher like people back um, back in Germany. It was like yeah, we need to bring this match to Germany for ambition.
0: Hmm.
1: And this really is like the embodiment of the kind of shit that I like in wrestling. Um, it's two guys, two young guys taking advantage of opportunity, and that's something that's always gonna resonate with me and something I'm always gonna enjoy and, and like find and find some sort of comfort in. It's two guys that and, and this is very much me uh, putting my own personal narrative on it but it's two guys that like on this final show of this shoot style of Jason Brand mm. and in this era of English English independent wrestling where people are like conv- are convincing themselves that it's, di- that it's dying out and it's, and it's dead and it's killed and most of it is true but you're going out there and making something of it and are these two guys going to save English wrestling? No, they're not.
0: Mm-hmm. They're
1: not they're not going to sit here and they're not going to like usher in this new era of prosperity in English wrestling. Who knows? I don't think I don't think they are. But what it is is two guys that maybe in like the last window of two guys who could possibly break out through this scene right. they give you that last glimmering hope and it turns into a thing where this could easily go all over the world. And right now it is it's gonna go to it's gonna go to it's gonna go to Germany in march and who knows where and who knows where that take and who knows where else that's gonna take them but it's guys that beat the shit out of each other it it's really mean and nasty and competitive in a way that you would not have would not have expected so mm. I totally understand why someone just threw on this show and it just knocked them on their ass but i I just love the fact that two young guys got an opportunity took full advantage of it and had the wrestling world buzzing you know it's, a, it's the opposite end of the spectrum of like jordan oliver and blake christian going out there and, do, and doing their shit it's like you know like Jordan, like and it's gonna get jordan oliver and blake christian book, booked everywhere yeah. so you know good for them but like that like that's sort of the yeah. thing that i i like out of this is that two young guys took advantage of an opportunity but it's also a style to actually really enjoy and they did a hell of a job performing it
2: yeah great selling um great A great sense of, like, how to work together with pre-playing spots, but not make them super obvious, which is, like, a huge problem people have in this style. Uh, More than anything else, though, I wanted to mention that, like, the crowd did a lot for this match. Um, This being, like, uh, this venue was kind of, like, big and airy, but it it still had, like, a very intimate feel. uh, Oh, Oh, by the way, this show was produced so well. That's what I was trying to get at. Like uh the production for this show was like really great and it made it feel a lot more intimate than the venue probably felt in real time. Um and in that way, like you could definitely hear people like three, four, five rows back. Um and you could tell that they some of them were wrestling fans some of them were specifically tetsujin fans but a lot of them didn't feel that way a lot of them felt like either like friends or family of some of the young guys on the show or maybe just like some punk kids from here in manchester who just like wandered in were just like hey we're gonna give this a go um and it made for like a really interesting atmosphere like a really endearing one too to to hear people um react in certain ways to spots that like you and i might find rote or might not freak out about and hear them go oh god don't do that to them like it, it was, was like screaming really... in horror <laughs> totally like it, it made it it made it that much easier for me to get invested into this thing
1: and it was it was a really fun experience all right that was my number that was my number 70 so what's your 69 nice my... match of the countdown
2: the nicest match on my list is another match from our friends over at southern underground pro the sup what could possibly go right show it is Britt Ison defending the sup bone storm championship against
1: o'shea edwards um i had I had high hopes for this program and i think this match is all right but ultimately kind of let me down i i hear you I, I wish that this one
2: concluded a little more strongly um and at this point i don't think it has a chance to being that eisen has since lost the belt in a match that we're going to talk about later
1: yeah but also um, also like turn face and totally oh and like they their friends like it is yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh
2: but yeah like this one this one makes it out of my list just because like it's the match that sold me on O'Shea edwards being the guy like watching this i think i mentioned it in my review like watching this reminds me of like watching john cena for the first time um or not even really the first time but like f- first like Groking what cena was about like this like superman figure who could also be like the most sympathetic guy in the room in a room full of wrestling fans no less um like watching him do that here against brett ice and a guy who like i think is a pretty effective heel at least at this point in his sup run um in a match that is like full of interference like full of like little bells and whistles and smoke and mirrors that that do a lot to add to this it makes for like a really interesting thing where this huge dude who is like every bit deserving of the nickname, big bad Kaiju, like look like the most sympathetic guy and like watching him transition between those two things back and forth and like beat the shit out of Ison when he needs to, and then get the shit beat out of him when he needs to. I thought it was just amazing.
1: Yeah. It was something that I was interested in in theory and Oshay is good at it. Mm-hmm. And but I, I just wish, um, like you said, I, I not a, not big on icing. So, True. um, my number sixty nine is Shingo Takaki versus Tetsuya Naito from the G1 Climax August fourth. I'm you just rewatched this one,
2: and I'm pretty sure I didn't see it at all.
1: Yeah, um, for some people, this is their New Japan match of the year. Yeah, um, perverts. Yeah, su- super lij perverts. But um. This, this is a match that I, didn't, I didn't, like, love at the time. I thought it was, like... I thought I had, like, a really good finishing stretch. But rewatching it today, like... There's a lot I really do enjoy about it. I I enjoy the opening stages, um... Of, um, uh... Feeling out process work. Uh... I enjoy the fact that even as stablemates, Naito was, like... Super disrespectful to Shingo. And, pro- and prodding him. And poking at him in a way to get Shingo to snap. And... And for, and for Naito to take advantage of it. But more than anything, um, you know, if you know, if you know the background of Shingo and, and Naito at this point, um, two guys that went to the same new Japan tryout together. Um, obviously diverge on different paths. Naito got, Naito got accepted into new Japan. Shingo went going into dragon gate and their paths eventually reconnect. And really this is, it's the only time Naito showed up this year and Naito had matches that I liked. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not and I'm not saying it's like put down Naito, but like I we think should, it sh- yeah. But but, it, but it's like I think it shows you how much he respects and cares for Shingo. Sure. That in a year where it felt like Naito didn't re- didn't really do a ton, and when he clearly when he clearly has the capability of doing so, yeah. is that when he's going up against his stablemate, a guy a guy that I'm assuming he's wanted to wrestle for a long time, a guy that's like that's like a, le- a legitimate friend to him, he goes up there and puts the, puts the working shoes on. And it establishes Shingo the way that like Okada versus Osprey did for Will, or like Abushi versus or like Abushi versus Osprey did for Will. It is the kind of stamp from a top guy that Shingo needed to really take that next level. from i in 2019 going into going into 2020, where he's headlining a new beginning show. So I think this was that this was that next step in it. I think it escalates very. I think it escalates very well. I think the finishing stretch. I think the finishing stretch is great. It's not too much, not a lot of kickouts, but it it, it builds very well. Like, it, like it might surprise you, but there it does not a lot of kickouts. And like again, like we, we've watched Shingo for years. That can be a thing that Shingo goes into pretty heavily. That can be a thing that goes into very heavily. But they're not super reliant on that here. It's a lot of aura, a lot of slow building, a lot of emotion, and really a lot of making Shingo look like the strongest possible version of himself. And I think that was mission accomplished here.
2: Uh, My number 68 is another New Japan match. A joint New Japan match, as it were, uh, on that ROH G1 Supercard from the uh, Madison Square Garden. It's Zack Sabre Jr. defending the RPW British Heavyweight Championship against Hiroshi Tanahashi.
1: Did not make my list, but this is my I think might have been my f- favorite or second favorite match to had this year. Yeah, this was easily my
2: favorite of the series. Um, just like a rock solid match between these two guys. Um, I think it helped a lot that this one was like shorter than their average match. Like if this if this wasn't the shortest, it's only a little bit longer than the G1 match. I think. Um, and it helps them a lot. Uh, to keep things like snappy and quick, and to not um to not, like, repeat themselves a whole lot. Uh, and I think, like, one thing that I didn't hear coming out of this show, so much to talk about this show, Lord knows, um, one thing I didn't hear about the show is, like, how the how these guys managed to keep a big M- Madison Square Garden crowd who had seen a whole lot of bullshit throughout the night already, um, they managed to keep them invested in what was almost entirely a map-based match. Like, I, I, think that's, I,
1: think this is, I think this is after the... Um... R.O.H. tag title with the Enzo and casting, right? I think
2: that's correct. It might have been the first match afterward. Yeah, so I think that's. I think that's a really impressive thing that they were able to like keep this crowd invested in this thing.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because I listen, like I listened to a lot of people that were at that show, uh-huh. and, and they'll talk about how, like that, like they didn't like they didn't appreciate this match in the building, but they went but they went back and watched it afterward, and it's like, oh yeah, like the bolt like the bullshit that happened before it maybe maybe took me out of it, but like that was a really good match. And yeah, like, like, it's two guys that for the most part have really strong chemistry and it, I was really surprised and happy to see that those guys retained and even got back the crowd after what was going on, after what was going on previously. Uh number 68, a match I don't believe you saw, but it's Chris Ridgway versus Kip Sabian from IPW May 1st. Yeah, no idea. Um, not a big fan of Chris Ridgway. And I'm not a big fan of Kip Sabian either. Sure. But just watch this on the watch this on the whim. And Chris Ridgway as a heel is so much better than them trying to force him as a baby face. Like oh. they like they do in Progress and other promotions. And same thing with Kip Sabian, where it's like, I think I I understand. Like Kip Sabian gives off like natural heel vibes. I get it. He looks like he looks like a piece of shit.
0: Mm-hmm. He
1: he look, you know, pretty pretty boy that's easy easy to boo or hate. I understand that. But he has that sort of thing about him where he looks like a heel, but his actual best work comes from a ba- comes as a baby face. And I think that happened with him with him and David Starr 2018. I think that happened again right here with him and Chris Ridgway in 2019. As Chris Ridgway is nasty and the best I've ever seen him look. He is brutal. He is vicious going after Kip Sabian's leg. Mm. And, Kip Sa- and Kip Sabian is the most fiery and um, unbelievable and sympathetic he's ever been. And it's something that I wish we got more of. I'm not saying Kip Sabian will be like some top baby face in the world or, or anything. But that's clearly what he's good at. And some of that obviously falls on him. I think he wants to be a heel. And I think he really is trying to work, make this heel thing work. But that, but that's not him. I think this is his career match. I think this is at least the, at least the best individual performance of Chris Ridgway's career. I think the best match of his career is still probably Zach from IPW Lat from twenty eighteen. But as far as something where Chris Ridgeway isn't across the ring from one of, from one of the best wrestlers in the world, this was the best Ridgeway has ever performed, in my opinion. And one of those matches like Ethan Allen and Luke Jacobs, where it's like sort of a a hope of 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 English wrestling, where like even if the scene isn't completely dead, like you find gems like this in IPW, which eventually um closed down or mer- and merged with uh, with RevPro, that there can be matches like this, like 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 Sabian versus Ridgeway, where those guys who aren't necessarily hard, like pushed in the more prominent places get these sort of chances like this.
2: So was your sixty eight? Was that correct? Yes, sir. All right, so my sixty-seven is a match that uh, I think you and I both enjoyed, but I'm not sure he's going to make your list. It's uh, Mercedes Martinez defending the Phoenix of Rise Championship against Kylie Ray at Rise Twelve on January the nineteenth.
1: Yeah, did not make my list. So this one, um,
2: uh, I like Kylie Ray. Um, she has like the sort of character that appeals to me a whole lot, like a real just a bubbly, like, uh, well-meaning. Uh, young baby face. um but before 2019 like i was sort of frustrated by her in a couple ways like in that i thought her gimmick didn't necessarily translate well into matches uh specifically like i thought she was kind of rocky in her transition from the part of her matches where she's like, Oh, like I want to be friends with everybody. And my opponent is like the greatest person in the world to like, okay, now we actually have to do spots. Like, um, I like it similar characters in the form of like Dakota Kai or Bailey. And I think they're way better at that transition. Um, and it wasn't until a match like this that I saw Kylie start to do the same thing. Um, Big part of that comes from Mercedes Martinez, like a woman who I think is really great, and who I want to do like a deep dive on. Eventually, um, I think she's awesome here in breaking down this baby face in front of uh, not a hometown crowd, but the crowd that first saw her break out in, in professional wrestling, um, and making Kylie work for her spots, like really um, have to push and um, like change her attitude in order to work her way on top. Um, and it makes Kylie look like one of the like great baby faces of our time that I think now people see her as. And it finally made me
1: get on board with her. Yeah, like that's that's a little bit surprising for me. I didn't know you had those issues with Kylie.
2: But, yeah, it was just it wasn't like it was nothing that made me dislike her, but it, like it always, I never bought into her matches the way that I felt that I should have.
1: So I'm I'm glad that this was like a bit like a good transition point for you because. You know, like this this there's, there's another one of those things, like I mentioned with the Tessa Tessa match, is that I think she was really really set up for to have a strong twenty nineteen, uh-huh. and um, more more than anybody. Like I can I can, I can say I can hear an argument for like Darby, but more yeah. than, but more than anybody, it's like her signing is what really disappointed me the most in terms of like I think that she would have had such a strong year even without AEW, and then add on the fact that like her AEW run just doesn't yeah. actually happen.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: Um. My number 67 is a match I'm going to assume you have higher than me, but it's Daniel Makabe and Timothy Thatcher from three-two-one Battle Wet Hot Seattle Summer.
2: Yeah, that's going to be on night three. So instead, we might talk about uh, a match between someone you like a lot, who I kind of despise. <laughs> it's uh, Kinto Ohara taking on Yuji Okabayashi in the Champion Carnival in All Japan Pro Wrestling. This is insane to me. <laughs> this is there, there's thing. like one kento match a year that i like and yeah, this was but, the one yeah uh, go ahead <laughs> so this was um uh, if i recall correctly this was like a big climactic block decider i think this was the last of the block a matches uh, essentially um, yeah where like the winner if either of these guys won they would make it to the finals um and okabayashi i believe could also squeak by with a draw and would have moved past i think like shuji ishikawa and dylan james something like that um either way like big climactic match um and very much a match that has worked to the idea of like okabayashi a guy who's like no stranger to all japan but a guy who's like returning after a long period of injury and like steamrolling his way through the company and coming up against like their big top baby face um a guy who has to like defend the honor of the company and like make it back to the finals of the tournament he's never won before um simple little story that like i didn't necessarily buy into but mechanically i thought was like a lot was worked a lot better than the average kinto Miyahara match i thought kinto's like (sighs) i thought the stuff that he does on offense actually felt warranted for once like in trying to like keep things fresh and speed things up against like a big dude, like a big golem, like Okobayashi. Um, and I thought that like Okabayashi's like headstrong approach made it so that Kento couldn't dig into like the other bullshit from him that I dislike, like all the character stuff and the goofiness. Um, and I made for just like a, a fun, like and main event, um, where like these two guys were doing the stuff that they do best in front of a hot crowd. And
1: it was, it was just really good. Like one of the better, uh,
2: Pearl matches I saw all year.
1: In some ways, it disappointed me, just because it's like I thought that you were gonna, we were gonna get Yuji sort of set up as sort of as Kento's uh, monster of the year. If, sure. you, fo- if you follow um, follow all Japan booking, um, they usually it, do that. Yeah, he yeah, has Masuji Shikawa, Fuji, Daisuke sakimoto That have been guys that beat Kento and then eventually came back for like a bigger title match with them down the line, mm-hmm. and. I thought that would've I thought that would have been the plan here. I thought that would've been a really good thing to go with, but they don't. They go with Kento beating him and going on to win the win the champions carnival. But I thought this was a good like standard standard Kento. I I hmm. I guess because it's Yuji and I think Yuji offers a certain type of credibility that other Kento opponents don't, that I, I, I can see why like this resonated with you more than like something like Kento versus Suwama or some shit.
2: Totally. Like I Suwama's not a guy that I've ever really liked, but Okobayashi like somehow has managed to make that, like, big heavyweight, like, go, 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 move, 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 Japanese style. Like, he makes it still work for me. I think he does it in a really simple, bare-bones way that still connects.
1: Alright, so my number 66 is Jeremy Wyatt versus Fred Yehai from Journey Pro Wrestling, August 29th.
2: I did not end up watching this one.
1: Yeah, and and I noticed you're not, like, super big on Wyatt, which, like, surprises the shit out of me. Yeah, like, he...
2: He in a lot of ways does feel like someone that I should like, but yeah, it's just he he hasn't yet connected with me.
1: Um, Wyatt has had a really good reign as the uh, Gateway Heritage champion, defending between St. Louis Anarchy and, and Journey Pro. Um, Thomas Shire, Jake Parnell, uh, Fred Yehai here, Hollow Wicked, Jotty Blackheart Blackheart, um, Jimmy Jacobs. Sharp Bay Gutierrez, like, the guy has really ran the gauntlet of people that they've brought in to face him, and the thing about Wyatt that I've always liked about him, and he's a guy that I've enjoyed for, like, for years at this point, I think going on five years I've been watching Jeremy Wyatt, is, he is, like, he always feels like he, like, he works up to, like, to the competition, is that it never feels like he's out of his depth. The same thing I, I'd, like, I'd, like, praise Dan for every time he's in the ring with, like, a with, like a Gresham or Thatcher, I think that that's Jeremy Wyatt to a T. And here he is with Fredy High, a guy that I think it, like I can safely call the most underrated wrestler in the world at this point. Sure. Just be, just because it feels like the wrestling world has passed him by in a way that like like it's becoming of a like that's becoming of a guy that I would call underrated. And it's the best it's the best Jay High match I've seen this year. It um it's the best wide match I've seen this year. It's the only wide match that makes my list. And it's just super super smart super technically sound uh very very well worked not a ton of fireworks not super near fall heavy but it rewards you for paying attention it rewards you for following jeremy Wyatt's reign, and it's just refreshing to see why i mean not, I mean, not why uh Yehai high rather get treated with the kind of respect that he deserves he's a top class top level guy in the world and in 2019 we didn't get to see Yehai high get treated that way a lot of the time and Right here in this match, coming in as the challenger of the month for jeremy wyatt in the in the midst of this historic title reign, here comes Jai, and he gives Wyatt the fight of his life and I don't know if this would be some match that like turns you around on jeremy wyatt but i i i would i would be like shocked you know I think that would, like that would be time to throw in the ter- throwing the towel on jeremy Wyatt if you didn't enjoy at least like some aspects of wyatt versus Jai. you said this was journey pro right yeah journey journey pro august twenty ninth August, okay. I'll look for that one. Um, uh,
2: the next match on my list, number 65, is a match that I didn't see a ton of other praise for outside of, like, the Segunda Kaida guys, who I tend to agree with on a lot of things. Um, and it's uh, the men's Money in the Bank ladder match
1: from the pay-per-view of the same name. I am really numb to these kind of matches, so you take it away from me.
2: Absolutely. I, I totally understand, like... Walking into this one expecting nothing but the same old thing that we've seen for 20, 25 years now. Um, But I liked it, like, in a way that I haven't liked one of these in about a decade, maybe. Uh, I thought that the spread of talent in this one was a lot better than normal. It's Finn Balor, Drew McIntyre, Mustafa Ali, Baron Corbin, Andrade Almas, Randy Orton, Ricochet, and a last-minute entrant in, like, the final seconds of the match of Brock Lesnar. Um, and so you have, like, a bunch of big guys here, guys who are pretty good about wrestling, like big guys, too, uh, totally decimating a bunch of small high flyers who are willing to take absolute death for them, uh, as well as, like, doing a bunch of fun spots on their own. And it just it made for, like, a big, stupid Money in the Bank match that had, like, a couple tremendous spots. Like, I have no idea how Finn Balor survived the um, sunset flip off the ladder in this match. And it was, yeah, it was just a lot of fun, like a lot of like stupid, turn your brain off at the door fun, um, and in a, a cool like the M- Mustafa like stopping in his tracks is about to watch as he's about to win the match was a yeah. little scene, but like I like I like to finish in theory, like I like the big heel moment of Lesnar coming in and just being like, "Ha ha, fuck you! You thought Rollins
1: killed me? I like that a lot, and it it, it was a fun little capper of like a really exciting match. My number sixty five. Features the thirty eighth best wrestler twenty nineteen. Oh, God, Adam Cole versus Daniel Bryan from WWE SmackDown Boo. November first. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, short notice match, just as um after uh-huh. uh the like the WWE latest latest Saudi endeavor, and um Demacal. you know Vince McMahon might have gotten his talent held up by the Saudi government. Um,
2: you know. <laughs> but it's it is unbelievable that
1: that didn't turn into a bigger thing. I am like, considering the fact that like John Oliver from uh from, like, like, totally like like did, like did this thing about um the like the like the Saudi WWE connection earlier earlier in the year before that, and he didn't pick that up. Like I was stunned. Yeah, this should have been national news, and it just wasn't. Um, but yeah, on short notice they call some NXT people and they bring up Adam Cole and. Cole and Brian work a match, just really interesting considering considering how they use Cole the next time he's on Raw. But when's he next on Raw? He's, he's he faces Rollins after this. I don't think I knew that happened. Yeah, he does. He does. But it Brian, sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> he, he does. He does. Brian on um Friday, and then and then, and then goes and faces Rollins on, on Monday Night Raw.
2: Oh, the next the next Monday.
1: Yeah. Oh, weird.
2: I don't know how I missed that.
1: Yeah, because that, that was like the whole build to Survivor Series. Weird. Okay. Um. And, and this is really weird because on monday he's like a very clear heel against rollins sure and then on friday he's super total babyface here uh brian kicks the shit out of this guy man he is stre- he's stretching about something fierce beating the ever-living hell out of cole and like you no, know, i've been watching cole for like going on 10 years at this point yeah so like that's something that Cole does really well, man. Cole takes a beat down. Cole could take an ass kicking and he sells super well in it. He sells his arm extremely well. I thought, and I think this is sort of, I think this is the best individual Cole performance I've seen in years at this point. Obviously, Brian is the best, is the best. He's going to, he's, he's going to make anybody look good, but I thought for Cole, he really stepped up to the plate here. He realized the situation. Now was in front of him. realized that there's opportunity of a lifetime with a depleted roster and being in the main event of SmackDown that night and sets up to the plate and delivers the way the champion of a brand should. And he beats Brian clean and you, it ends in a goofy way. Like it's triple H instead of Adam Cole cuts the show ending promo, you know, <laughs> well, Adam <laughs> Cole, the heel champion of your brand should Gross. clearly be the guy that cuts the promo to end the show, but you know, whatever triple H is a fucking glory hog. But I, I I thought, I thought Cole really settled to the plate here, man, and this is just one of those another points of why Brian is the best. And, and what and how and how this guy on on a much on the on the lesser brand, on the mm-hmm. lesser show is coming up here, and Brian does everything in his power to make the guy look great in a victory.
2: How does the fact that he works as a baby face affect your perspective of the match?
1: Um, probably a ton. I, I don't I'm not a i have never been a big fan of Heel Cole, So when <laughs> so, so yeah i've never been a big fan of heel cole so when so when yeah. he gets so when he gets to go back to what i think is has been his best performances which is him usually yeah. as a baby face i think that's great and i can't I, 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 th- I still think it's probably a good match even if cole even if cole's a heel just because i think brian would have forced it to be a good match but i think brian sort of forcing cole into fighting back and fighting from underneath in the way that cole hasn't in like five fucking years like I think it was it was a really refreshing thing for me.
2: Okay. My um, number sixty four is a match from WXW's tag World Tag Team Festival weekend. It's a uh, Timothy Thatcher defending his newly won WXW Unified World Title against
1: Jonathan Gresham. Not on my list, and I think it's probably my least favorite of the matches they've had together.
2: I get that. Like these guys have had a couple matches over the last five years, and they have all been very similar um but it just so happens that i like the two of them together i've liked all the matches that they've had despite the fact that they're basically the same thing uh i think it helps a lot that they're not um they are often not like they don't meet up a whole lot like it's it's often usually like a year or more in between each of their matches and i think that helps my perspective of it a whole bunch uh, but this was, yeah, this was just, like, a straightforward thing, wherein like, this, like, little bastard of a challenger makes life a living hell for our big heroic babyface who just won the title the night before. Um, and they wrestle the way that you would expect them to wrestle. Like, Thatcher's this big guy who who uh, does all his normal stuff against, like, a much smaller opponent, and Gresham has to overcome the size differential and, like, work away at Thatcher's knee to make up for that. And it just, it unfolds the way that you'd want uh, they don't make any mistakes in doing that and it, it delivers like a fun little match
1: yeah th- th- yeah, this is fun um like really like i can't imagine i can't i can't imagine a more perfect first defense for thatcher coming up totally. coming off of this and it's something that's like it's not it's not overly serious it's not going at Thatcher going out there having another big emotional epic it's uh-huh. something that's like a little bit more of a cool down and a crowd pleaser yeah um my number sixty four is the match that, that you just mentioned a little bit ago. Is John Moxley versus Summer Hero Ishii from uh, the G One Climax, Gen, um, July nineteenth? Okay. Um, I think that's sort of similar to like Styles versus Suzuki in a lot of ways from twenty fourteen, okay. in that, and I think like the overwhelming like coolness of the match. It's sort of it's sort of, sort of going to like sh- uh, shroud or sh- um overshadow like I think I think I think the rest of the match just like that's good but it's not like incredible or anything but again like you. cool shit is like sometimes that's that's, that's enough in wrestling cool yeah. aura shit is like really can be can be great and it th- doesn't get much better than Moxley versus Ishi, uh, Moxley coming in ready to prove himself uh-huh. he is ready to tear shit up prove that he belongs. Fresh off, fresh off of WWE, and he he's, he let his body heal. This is a this, I think this is one of the matches people were looking people were looking forward to, uh, because I think people use Ishii as like the measuring stick of like if you're a good wrestler or not. Right. Which I probably I, I probably wouldn't use him that way, but I, but I think I think a lot of people view Ishii as one of those guys, um, and they just beat the shit out of each other. Man, it's a fun, quick and brawl for portions of it, and then once they get back into the ring, it's super stiff. Mm -hmm. super mean and it does exactly what it should have done and it makes mox look credible mox looks like he belongs mox Mm -hmm. looks like he is ready to uh face the wear and tear of the g1 and it sets sets the tone he goes out there and beat and beats ishi and i was just happy to see my guy go out there and like go out and have that match because i even if i didn't have um the same sort of like excitement like oh my god holy shit like ishii versus moxley was so good but i'm happy that people like watched that and were like oh man john moxley might be good because i was afraid i'll be i'll be on on this island myself like singing these moxley praises all 2019 about like these juice matches or whatever so i'm glad that the ishii match happened because then i think i think that's when people started to take mox seriously as this guy having this career resurgence
2: it won a lot of folks over who were kind of skeptical Um, I wanted to say, like, it it was funny, like, even, even though these guys weren't doing anything new, especially for their, like, respective, like, approaches to most of their matches, um, even if these guys weren't doing anything new, I felt that this was a very fresh match, just because it was, like, a new matchup. Like, it was, uh, Ishii facing, like, a big, bad foreign heel, well, not even a big, bad foreign heel, but, like, a big, bad foreigner for the first time in a while, um, and, moxley coming face to face with a guy who can like really smack the shit out of him for the first time in a while and like just that time ty- that that tiny little like change of pace for like what their careers have been going for recently uh i think that made all the difference and, and made for like a really
1: really exciting match yeah this is this, like i said i really do think this becomes sort of like the like a like a style suzuki equivalent even sure. like even like even if it's not gonna um I think have nearly the same legacy that I think south Suzuki still right. has. Like, I think it's a, I think it's a thing that people that don't watch New Japan or particularly like New Japan are gonna are gonna latch on this don't latch onto this match for years to come at least.
2: It really it really stands out on a page. Like it, it's 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 an eye catching sort of match. Yeah. Uh, so my number sixty three is uh another match from a show that you didn't watch anything of it's orange cassidy defending the independent wrestling.tv championship against chris statlander at the iwtv midwest mixtape all right tell me about it um so like i have a i have a bunch of title matches uh ahead of this on my list um so the statement i'm about to say might sound a little funny but like If I think about the things that I value in a title match, like establishing a credible challenger and making a crowd buy into that challenger, um, preferably like a babyface underdog challenger... And uh escalating like the usual stuff that the two people do in their matches in a way that doesn't feel hammy, but instead like plays up the idea of like a big fight atmosphere, like a big fight setting of it of a major title match. If I think about like all those values, um I don't think that there was a better title match in twenty nineteen than this. Like, these these two come in here with um a whole lot of fun and personality i like highlighting the fact that like they're kind of comedic characters and fan favorite characters early on before like turning it up into like a classic title match formula with like some great legwork and some great selling um not necessarily from the people that you would expect it from either and it's it makes for like a really um like what just like on paper like if you write out all the spots like what looks like a strong match but i think the thing that like really ties it all together for me is the fact that like a lot of my friends were here for this. Like, um, the show was in Chicago. Like, uh, I, I have friends in Chicago. Uh, some of whom worked on this show <laughs> and uh, a whole bunch of friends throughout the Midwest who came to this. And even some who like came up from fucking Nashville and shit. So like every, like every time the camera panned around, like there was somebody in the background or in the crowd here that I knew and like watching these people like freak out for the big spots in this match, like made for like a really, um, like, a really sweet experience uh, that heightened something that I was already very much invested into. We're going to talk about this sort of idea later on, on Night 3 with one of my highest ranked matches, but, like, it was a really cool thing here to see people that I care about, like, get super into something that I liked a
1: lot. Yeah, I think that was sort of the appeal of, like, something like Leo Rusher and Anthony Henry from, like, the uh, 2016 SCI. Sure, like, yeah. like like you know the height of the wrestling, the worst days, like everyone's just like going fucking insane there, or like watching Trevor Lee versus Andrew Everett, and like the, like Dustin Spencer like gets up and just like immediately starts applauding <laughs> for like uh-huh. one, like one of the spots, like it's like seeing people that you like and you're and your friend and your friends would like like react and, like react to wrestling that way, like it's something it's something that you enjoy, like there's not there's mm-hmm. nothing better than like you and your friends all enjoying the same wrestling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, my number sixty three. Is a, is another John? It is Jonathan Gresham versus Alex Shelley from ROH October thirteenth. October. Okay, so I think I did watch this one, and I didn't think too highly of it. Ah man, uh, it's Jonathan Gresham and Alex Shelley. <laughs> I, I know, I know, but yeah, I don't know. it just
2: it didn't it didn't grab me in any in a particular way.
1: Yeah, um, it's one of my favorite wrestlers in the world. Like, they're like, they're like, they're like, it's plain as plain and simple. It's two of my favorite wrestlers. Um, really. Ever honestly, if I had to think about it, like definitely, like definitely for Shelly, and Gresham is a, is a guy that I've sung, have his praises for years and years and years at this point, and like, again, yeah, sort of a dream match thing for me, like sh- uh-huh. fucking Shelly versus Gresham, <laughs> like,
2: yeah, in
1: his ha- and, ha- and, and like a cool like mentor student thing too, yeah, right? like they like they like they've been connected, they were doing search and destroy for some time, and um, you know, it's it's in, it's in the midst of this like this Gresham slow burn heel turn too. Where, in the or in the post match, even uh, you know, even out, even after I believe Brushem wins, like he's still like, going out there and like grabbing a chair and like, you know, just like it, like he's he's so frustrated and angry with the spot in Ring of Honor and Jay Lee loves to come out and stop him and Jay and Alex Shelley just looking at him like, they dude, we're friends. Like, like what are <laughs> you like what are you doing here?" Yeah. And it's super technically proficient. Is the kind of shit that I just eat up a door and wrestling in fucking Alex Shelley and Jonathan Gresham like that's like, all like, <laughs> like, like that's all I this have to say there like I, I, I can't imagine like watching this match and like not like at least like smiling at some point at the shit they were doing so yeah
2: I think a big part of it was just it came in late in the year and I'm just I'm so tired by this point y- yeah <laughs> uh, so my number 62 is a uh, another match from our friends over at NXT UK it's uh, Jet Gallagher taking on
1: Cassius Ono from April. Yeah, this this is not one of the Ono matches I made my list. Did you see this one? Yeah, I did see this. I watched all of Ono's NXT UKs on 2019. Okay, so you probably saw more than I did, actually. Um, but uh,
2: I really enjoyed this. It's always great to see Cassius Ono, Chris Hero, whatever you want to call him. It's always great to see him murder some british dork and in this case the british dork is actually a really good one a uh, really good wrestler a guy of liked a whole lot who has not been able to um stretch his legs too much in wwe thus far um but here he and ono embark on a fun little like world of sport tribute sort of match um one with like tons of like amazing little details that like really um play up like the aspects of that style that i enjoy or that i think i enjoy from this distance like i haven't actually gone back and done a huge dive on it yet um but they like play up the idea of like how a guy like gallagher would be able to effectively combat somebody twice his size and like probably two or three times as experienced as him um and it's also like another uh another example of like ono's amazing ability to feel like something less than what he clearly is like uh, being able to like bump around for a guy who's so much smaller than him, so much uh, less experienced than him, and and look like someone other than one of the best wrestlers of all time. Um, and uh, in addition to all that, you get a little bit of hardbaked blood and a fun like inconclusive finish that does well to put more heat on Ono, and it just it makes for a great little TV match.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one of my, one of my favorites. That. Ono, that Ono got to do in 2019, and you know, we'll we'll get to it more when we when, when I get to uh of, some of the other Ono stuff I have. But again, it was just really fun to see the guy sort of like you know just fuck around and reinvent himself just because and, Totally. And, and just do and just do shit because you know, like, you know what? No one no one's telling me what I can't do here, so <laughs> no one's watching this show. Like, yeah, no one's watching this. Uh, my number is 62. A match I have no clue how you feel about. But it's David Sarver and Joey Janela from Beyond American Rada.
2: Uh, this could have made my list, but I think was uh, pushed off by
1: Stronger Stuff. Yeah, I don't love this either. Uh, more so... It's a big Iron Man match, we should yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, a 60-minute Iron Man match to blow off to this, at this point, years-long and yeah. feud. I don't like this match nearly as much as I, like, admire it. Sure. Um... You know, like, Star is a long match guy. Star has done it. Star has thrived in it. Star has done it well. And even if it's not always great, I think he's a guy that has enough ideas to make it work. The real question mark here was Joey Janela. Um, a guy that has improved, I think, his actual wrestling, some would say, over the la- over the last couple of years. Um, I, think stuff, I think stuff like his match with Walter, Thatcher, um... And other things, like, I mean, Zack Sabre Jr., too, like, like stuff that you'd be like, okay, like, Joey Janela has gotten solid as far as, like, what you would call, like, what unquote actual wrestling. Sure. Um, so, a lot of question marks on how they would make this stuff work here. What's the answer? A lot of gimmick. A lot of bullshit. Um, and it works. And it works, though. Like, yeah. you get some blood, you get some nutty spots, kendo stick shots, a fucking Canadian Destroyer, a step-up step Canadian Destroyer, um... From the from the from the ring to the table uh, on that's on the floor, um, another another nutty wild thing. Um, I think Star laid laid up laid up across the um a gar a piece of the guardrail that Joey that Joey sets up and does a does an elbow drop through elbow drop through off of a ladder. Yeah, um, there's some nutty shit in here. Uh, Davis Star, I think, particularly impressed me in like the later stages of it when you like you really need to like piece it together and. Um, like tie it together in a way that's coherent and right. he he re- really really ramps, ramps up the nastiness and joey feels like he's completely out of his depth here and like i said i don't like this much nearly as much as i admire what they did here but for a 60 minute iron man match involving joey janela i don't think this could have gone much better
2: i definitely think this is a match that like is worked about as well as you could possibly ask for um i i've really fallen off on joey janela in recent years but i think star does a lot to like keep people invested into this thing and cover up for janela's like occasional mistakes and um not something that i felt right including on my list after seeing everything that i saw but like definitely like a decent match
1: all right so that was my 62 which your 61 i guess
2: my 61 is a match i think you brought up a little earlier it's barbaro cavernario versus soberano jr from new japan's fantastica mania yeah then 75 okay um this was another great showing from a great matchup like probably my favorite matchup in lucha libre at the moment um pair of guys that i like a whole bunch uh they do most of the usual stuff like nothing all that revolutionary here um what i really liked though is that uh this quiet corican crowd or at least quiet at times you know they build up into a a big uh, big explosion for big spots and whatnot um i think this quiet and crowd allowed for like the sonic capabilities of this match to really shine in a way that it hasn't been able to in various different places in mexico so you can you can hear something like the thud of a, like a really mean
1: power bomb and it, and it made um it made a matchup that i already really enjoy a lot even better yeah yeah i mean it's I wouldn't call it called the greatest hits, but it's more like a tour, like a tour, like you know, it's a touring match thing. Totally, you know, right. these guys have done their thing in Mexico City, did their thing in Guadalajara, and now do, and now doing it in Tokyo, and it's a really brutal and nasty Cavernario control segment uh, followed by a really great Somorano comeback, and I think he, I think he has one of the best comebacks in Lucha Libre. So. Uh, a crowd that really popped that really popped for it eventually and really really got into the stuff they were doing. But I, I was I was just happy to see that this had got announced for Fantastic Mania because like oh yeah like these guys are gonna kill it. And uh-huh. I know the, and I know the people that don't watch C M L O regularly were looking at that and probably did like probably saw like oh Barbaro Cavernario like cool. But I think I think that for a lot of people that was like a. Good introduction for Soberano as a singles guy because he's been on Fantastic Mania tours before, but not as like a guy getting like these prominent singles matches. I think this was his first time getting one, and I can't, I he like this one went went as well as it could have, uh, for him. Uh, my number 61, a match you may have higher is Phoenix versus Walter from WXW 16 Karat gold night. 2.
2: oh, you know what? I'm not sure that this even made my list. Let me look.
1: Would, would, would that have been like a big oversight or like?
2: Phoenix? Uh, no. Like it was something that I liked, but I think, yeah, it didn't make my list. Okay. Um, no, it was a match that I liked, but ah, I don't know. I think there was just like stronger stuff throughout the year.
1: Yeah, like um, this is from from the jump. It's really urgent and mean uh-huh. and nasty, and we've echoed a lot of this, like, a lot of similar Phoenix sentiments in the past. That, like, Phoenix is dazzling at, as a sure. flyer man. Like he, like he, he really is incredible. But, like, that's not what I fell in love with Phoenix for. You know what I mean? Like, I, I fell in love with Phoenix because he really, because he, he can sell his ass off, and he's a really good uh-huh. baby face. Yeah. And just like how that low key match from MLW in 2018 was sort of a return to that for him, I think this Walter match is is a return to that, where Walter Phoenix did the thing that. He does very well and thats get his ass kicked mm-hmm. um I think Walter can be a really underrated base sometimes, and I think and I, and I think you saw a little bit of that here it's um, funny
2: it's funny you say that I was just thinking about the idea that he wasn't it's funny that you mentioned that I, I, thought, I thought he was all right um I feel like yeah I'm, like i don't I don't think he was bad here or anything it's just like I was thinking of a guy his size he's not like I never have considered him to be i don't know like i've never thought of him like pulling off like some great high flying for somebody before
1: um i think he's done really good for like david stars like yoshi tonics in the past um sure that's sure. like like, eat, like eating eating some of those transition ranas for dives and all that for all, yeah. that, and all that stuff but yeah th- this is just another like another one of those steps in like a really strong walter 16 carat run that culminates in him versus lucky kid where you like he gives lucky kid like a lot and lucky kid Looks good for once in his career, and uh for once <laughs> and, and and like gets and gets to win over him, but yeah, I man, this is awesome. I could see this being some people's match of the year in europe like i got I, yeah. I, I think this might actually be that for some people, um, not quite that level for me, but again, it's Phoenix going back to what I like him for, and that's that mm-hmm. really overwhelmingly underdog baby face stuff, and Walter's a great bully and I and it's like it doesn't get much better than that,
2: yeah, it was it, it felt like if i feel like the two guys like getting back to the things that like we first liked them for um and putting a, putting on just like a hell of a banger like a real dream match in that setting um you remember stuff like walter power bombing the guy out of his mask you know <laughs> like just nutty <laughs> stuff like it was it was great
1: all right uh, what's your what's your 60 then
2: my 60 is another lucha libre match and it's uh one of my favorite death matches of the year, as a matter of fact, it's a uh, exploding barbed wire death match from Ciclope and Miado Extremo from uh, June the second.
1: Yeah, did not get around to this, but I like both of these guys. I think
2: I would describe this as like the cutest death match in a long time okay <laughs> um in that like it's very clearly a tribute like they have this exploding barbed wire gimmick um miedo extremo i believe is the one who comes out basically in sushi onita cosplay like comes out in a leather jacket and a ratty tank top and a smoking cigarette like clearly trying to play up this this gimmick um and they embark on that sort of thing like trying to play up to the like fmw stuff that i'm sure that they came up watching uh, while also like sprinkling in some like much needed lucha libre spots that I think keep this thing interesting and and make it something more than just like a fun recitation of spots that I've seen better elsewhere. Um, and it was like a lot of fun. Like usually, usually like tribute death matches like this kind of fall short for me, especially in American settings. Like I think people often use them. Um, I think people often use them in lazy ways or sometimes in ways that feel um a little opportunistic like i can like i recall uh, a lot of early ccw history being like oh hey we're gonna take this gimmick that was famous in ecw but fuck ecw we're way better than that and i'm like man i like ecw come on and um you don't really get any of that here as far as i know like i didn't hear any promos from these guys like running down onita or whatever um instead like they're just like hey we're gonna do this thing that we love from 30 years ago and it's gonna be fun and silly and everyone's gonna have a great time and i
1: totally did my number 60 you may as well say this match doesn't exist but it's on a fake tv show Ilya Dragunov versus alexander wolf from NXT uk right. um november 21st
2: yeah you were super huge on this and i didn't get around to it
1: ah uh, man uh, i don't i don't know if you if you really, if you'd be into this but these two work at an insane pace for the style of yeah. um Really, a, really aggressive, like like mat like mat work and headlocks and um and, um, and tie ups here, um, like they te- they tease moves, but not in like the like in like in like a, like a tie like a tire typical way either. Um, for like for like four or five minutes, they just go at it, and then like, and then after that, they transition in, I guess into, into something more typical with control with the control segment from Wolf and everything, sure. but. This 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 is wonderful to me. I've I've loved Alexander Wolf or um you know Axel Tisher for a long time. I'm i I'm, I'm a big Ilya guy, even though I think he took a took a bit of a drop off in, in the last year or so. Um, yeah, somewhat due to opportunities, somewhat due to his own devices. Um, but yet yeah, but yeah, man, I love the style they worked here. They beat the shit out of each other. Great pace. Um, the finish is the only thing that like holds it back a little bit. Um. Imperium, Imperium comes out, distraction, finish, um, and sort of like Wolf's finish. in WWE kind of sucks. It's like a impaler DDT kind of deal that doesn't that doesn't look great in it or anything. So it's not like a <sighs> it's not like an, an emphatic end to a Rich. match to a match that has that was that was so intense. But if you're looking for something that embodies like actual struggle and like competitiveness and urgency and hatred it feels like these two guys want to win and also beat the shit out of each other, like, there isn't, there aren't, there aren't many matches that do that better than this Wolf and Dragunov match did. Okay. uh, My number
2: 59 is a match that you're definitely not going to have on your list. It's Brett Eisen defending the Sup Bone Storm title against EC Mack from Sup's You're Next. I am shocked by this, but alright, man. Yeah, like, mechanically, mechanically, this one's kind of rough around the edges uh we talked about it before ac max great heel not necessarily a great worker or a great worker but not necessarily a great like uh, mechanics guy not a great spot fast guy uh also kind of like the big fish in a small pond and and sort of suffers from that kind of thing um occasionally but uh i thought this one really came together super well like they work it directly to how the sub crowd feels about these two men and that is to the benefit of all um this intense fan favorite champion who is like a guy who has like become basically a babyface over the course of the year tries to murder this slimy heel that everybody in the region hates um play that they play that they play to that idea as well as the idea that like these guys are not equals uh, as far as like size is concerned as far as skill is concerned um something that we're going to talk about here more in a little bit with a match that i like a little bit more um and like in in just like running through a bunch of instances of like textbook heel spots as well as like ice and murdering AC Mac whenever he gets his hands on him like it made for like a really fun title match like the closest thing that I can think of uh to like a Brock Lesnar match on the indies like something that like we kind of have never seen before um and it was just
1: it, I don't know it was it was really enjoyable to me yeah I I liked it, I liked it for what it was I'm not seeing the Brock compar- the Brock Lesnar match comparison right now. But if I go, if I go back and rewatch, it, maybe like pay attention a little bit more to like the structure and details of it. Like... It's
2: it's kind of different because like Ison as the Lesnar character is a baby face. Yeah, I and mean, like you kind of don't get this sort of a Lesnar match in that way. Um, even if people at certain points have enjoyed Lesnar for his ability to just murderize people, but uh, like I th- I think if you return to it, you might find something
1: new. All right, so. My number fifty nine is Leo Rush versus Angel Garza from NXT, December eleventh. Uh, which one was this? The first or the second match? Second match.
2: Okay, I didn't, I did particularly, I didn't care really for either of these, but uh, this one more so, I think.
1: Yeah, an- another one where why lands so much for me is I think it's worked exactly how it should be worked. True. Leo Rush had already beat Angel Garza, but. Garza has annoyed and pestered Leo Rush so much with uh Leo's perceived advances towards uh to uh, or Leo's perceived advances that uh, the Garza's making towards Leo's towards Leo's wife. And despite beating him, he wants to keep beating the shit out of him. Right. And in that you sort of get you get this weird dynamic where Garza, who's extremely over in an in NXT right now with the live audience, and Leo Rush, who's done a really good job working himself back up into like being like a, like a working wrestler back at NXT mm. now. Um, the crowd really switches because Rush is kind of a dick here, you know, you know, even though he's like, he's like totally justified in his anger. Like he beats the ever living hell out of Angel Garza. At no point does he let up on him. He is all over him from the go. He stops him before he can do, but before he can take do the, um, ripple, rip away pants thing at, at, at several points. um, one of my one of my favorite spots of the year, you know, goofy like goofy thing. But as Leo Rush is like crawl, like you know, grabbing desperately at Garza to try to uh put put him away and finish him off. Garza's falling falling out of the ring and Gar and Leo Rush just happens to grabs grab his pants. And the thing that started this off, you know, with with Gar with Rush being pissed that like Garza took off his pants in front of his wife, Leo Rush is not the one taking Garza's pants off. <laughs> it's like it's like it's. It's a silly thing, but I love the urgency in it. Love the nastiness, nastiness in it. And like, other than, other than stuff that involves like, you know, like David Starr and Jordan Devlin, it's, it's, it's a kind of match that doesn't get worked very often where it gets worked exactly to the build and the story dictates. Like it's a guy that's pissed, a guy that's prideful, a guy that's very upset and he works that match exactly that way. And sometimes that's exactly what I, what I want. I can I can see saying that maybe it's a bit that's a bit much in that respect just because like well why why is he that angry? Sure. but you know if he's gonna be that angry, I think he performed. I think he performed that very well.
2: Uh, my number fifty eight is a match that I think you're probably gonna have higher than me. It's uh, Jonathan Gresham taking on our boy Dana Makabe, at three two one battles Battle Mania twenty
1: nineteen. Oh, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a day three match for me. Uh, my number. Uh, 58 then is a match i don't think you saw but it's jordan devlin versus kyle o'reilly from progress super strong style 16 day three
2: no i think i skipped over this one yeah
1: it's kyle o'reilly and, I, and i'm a kyle o'reilly fan sure. so the here we are we're getting these two in the semi for the tournament
0: mm.
1: and uh it's a lot of work on devlin's leg and that again, that that, my, that mileage may vary depending on what you think of Devlin selling, but I think Kyler Riley does a really good job focusing on it. Kyler Riley is a guy that doesn't have a lot of high spots necessarily in in his work, so he's not a guy that like his wrestling isn't it, like he like as the match progresses, he's not gonna st- he's not gonna stop focusing on the leg like that like the his his moves and everything doesn't exactly dictate something like that happening, and I think Devlin keeps selling the leg as well as yeah as he should be just because like that's the main that's the main story and focus of the match operating and trying to focus on one leg in a way that i don't think is super egregious or unwarranted i think you've mentioned it before about how uh something you liked about something you liked about something you liked about uh Kong versus hokaru is that you like the idea of like the the like the, the uh the pain in the limb uh, getting more and more intense as the match goes on instead of just like jumping like zero to one hundred, ba- right. like j- just based off like one like one minute of work, yeah. and I think this match does a good job exploring that and features one of my favorite spots of the year of Devlin going for this moonsault and his leg just fucking collapses like he like he just his his right leg completely gives out it looks legitimate looking like. It, act like it could have like like it looked like it could've actually been Devlin blowing out of his knee, but it's so natural and looks and looks so good that you totally you totally believe that Devlin might have just actually like shoot tos a c l and tos p c l and, and all and all that kind of shit and Kyle is vicious in it and it's a valiant performance from Devlin um going into a final where it's like he sort of is the baby face but isn't with david Starr. and we'll talk and we'll talk and we'll talk about that later. But, yeah, I, I just love the way this was worked. Okay,
2: I think my 57 is going to be another match you probably have higher. It's uh, Sari defending the Sendai Girls World Championship against Dash Chisako in uh, Cork and Hall in July.
1: Another, another day three match for me. Okay. Um, my number 57 is T-Hawk versus Giro Corosio from Wrestle 1, March 21st.
2: I don't think I got around to seeing this one, though I wanted to, because Seahawk is great, and he's great at making me care about matches with people I don't like.
1: Um, I mean, yeah, this, this is exactly what this is. I think Giro, I think Jero's a really underrated technician. I think I think he's a guy that does all that I've stuff. I've Never seen that from him. <laughs> did you Did you ever see um, Joe versus like Endo or Takashita from like those DK <sighs> tournaments?
2: No, I don't think so.
1: Yeah, like that. So like you, like he's doing like a lot of arm work there and shit, and. Okay. And, and, and that's what you're getting a little bit, a little bit of here in this match. Uh, T Hawk became one of the best nerd bait wrestlers in the world. Um, totally, really. Like uh, that was something that really was explored in the Ashino match that I have extremely high on, my, extremely high on the top hundred. But it's something that they do really well in this Jiro match here, where Jiro is a guy that works on the arm a lot, and T Hawk obviously is a big chop guy. So that story, that story tells itself. And I think, it build, I think it builds very well. It's the best match Giro ever been a part of. T Hawk is phenomenal in it. This this was in the early stages of the year where it's like, man, was, is T Hawk gonna be wrestler of the year? Haha, <laughs> No, but you know, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's great, man. I I, I was just I, I was still in that like you, like euphoric like feeling of seeing T Hawk get to do what he should have always been doing. Totally. And um, Giro came to play here. This is sort of one of Giro's like last like big matches in wrestle one like i think he's still like floating around there still um still i, I think so man like Dude, what the hell I, I think he's still doing so doing stuff but like there's like the like last like big match he gets i think yeah so jiro quote-unquote was out with a bang because he's still floating around floating around the company for some reason but um you know it's, it's a it's a great t performance and if you're just at least interested to see how Jiro works as a sort of te- technician guy because I feel um, like you like you haven't seen him do that before. I will give us a watch.
0: Okay, I might.
2: Uh, my number fifty six is a match that I'm not sure that you saw. You probably saw at least one of the matches in this build, but maybe not this one. Uh, it's Soberano Jr. defending the Mexican National Welterweight Championship against Templario on a CMLL Sunday Arena Mexico show from October the sixth.
1: Yeah, I think I think I watched all the Templarios of Urano stuff from CMLL this year, but neither, none of it made my list.
2: Okay, this was like a big blow-off of what was quietly like a big meaningful feud this year, at least in CMLL's like mid-card. Um, and what was also quietly probably my favorite feud of the year, uh, and we'll talk about it more later um there's nothing terribly new here just a lot of the same old spots from the touring match these guys had like a bunch this year like six or seven singles matches i think um but like the usual action is all great stuff that i like a whole bunch like spotty exciting things that don't uh that never feel that goofy to me that never feel that never like uh push against the idea of credulity or anything like um just a whole bunch of like fun stuff that i got really into um and they milk it for all it's worth here this in this what is essentially the big blow off like um taking a title the cmll title match style like a whole bunch of like spot lay around spot lay around that kind of that kind of thing that got um got increasingly relevant throughout this decade um and milk all of that for its dramatic worth and it makes for a pretty decent title match
1: yeah, so I'm, I'm assuming, it sounds like you're a big pretty big fan of Templario. Yeah,
2: like I it's funny, because like, I can recall I can recall when their match at uh Warrior Wrestling, I think is that Chicago Fed? Uh yeah. Yeah, their their match was announced for Warrior Wrestling and it was before I had announced or before I had seen any of their matches so far. And I was just like, Oh yeah, that's kind of cool and you were like, Oh, are you like a Templario guy? And I'm like, No, it's just <laughs> like these two guys like know each other and they, they could probably have like a decent match in front of like a, a lucha libre Chicago crowd and lo and behold they get around to watching these matches and I love them. Um, Templario like really impressed me impressed me this year as like a guy who's like a really strong base for someone who's not all that large especially compared to Soperano, who's, like, pretty tall. Um, but uh, he he really turned turned me around on him this year and,
1: like, matched up well with, like, one of my favorite luchadors. All right, so my number 56. In his second appearance on my top 100 so far, it is Kento Miyahara versus Suwama from All Japan Pro Wrestling, February 24th. Yeah, that's all you, dude. <laughs> um, I, Like, the, the first match he Sue had in 2016 for the title was a little shaky but since then i think these two have like these two have had great chemistry it's i think it's kind of stale like i understand like, i understand saying that but i think facing kento brings a brings that kind of like like intensity from suwama that people still like like yearn for and still maybe like sure. maybe like maybe like convince themselves they see but like, it's like this one when it really comes out like facing kento and they like beat the shit out of each other um Look, Kento 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 title formula is exactly what it is, but I think this is probably Kento's best work selling. Obviously, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen um, I saw all year in twenty nineteen too. I think the way he sells suama's bombs and he just collapses collapses at some point, taking taking some of these shots. Uh, it's, it's the thing that I really like about Kento sometimes, man. And I wish he got to, and I wish he got to do more of it. He can be a really good seller when it comes to, when it comes to striking, and I think right there taking like Suamas bombs there. And having to like fight and figure out a way to over, to 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 over to uh, overcome this stuff, I really I really enjoyed. Uh, Lyd, I don't I totally don't blame you for skipping over this yeah. match, <laughs> but, but but I'm I'm a, a Kenso fan and I enjoy Kenso and Suwama together. And you know, for the I think second time, I think these two have found a way onto my list.
2: Hmm. Um, my number fifty five is. Uh, the first of a couple matches that we're going to have on our list from WrestleMania this year, and it's uh, the opener of the show, or at least the the main card of the show, is Brock Lesnar defending the Universal title against Seth Rollins.
1: Okay, um, so I'm going to ask, does this, does this make your list and not the not the SummerSlam match?
2: Yeah, SummerSlam match totally didn't. I think the SummerSlam match um, sucked a big one. Like, <laughs> All right. It it unlearned all of the lessons of this match (laughs) and what made this one so good,
0: and and And, in
1: that Seth Rollins should not actually actually wrestle matches. Not specifically that, but
2: like in that Seth Rollins cannot believably hold his own against a guy like Lesnar. Okay, and like that's what the idea is here is that like Lesnar comes hot out the gate, like uh, wants to have his title match right away, and like decimates Rollins in the way that you'd expect um, until like uh i think rollins just catches him with a curb stomp out of nowhere like he he happens to be the first guy back in the ring after some stuff on the floor and he catches lesnar as he's like sliding through the ropes and just like keeps spamming that move until he wins um and i really liked that because like i always enjoy lesnar's matches of like just like beating the shit out of people and throwing them all over the place and it was great to see that against a guy i don't like at all (laughs) um but moreover like the um the finish and the whole idea around the finish was like, okay, we understand that Rollins has no believable chance against a guy like Lesnar. So how do we work around that? How do we still get to the idea uh, or the, the eventual destination of Rollins winning and make those two things gel together? Like we saw this earlier with Riddle versus um, the Velveteen dream. We saw this earlier with AC Mac versus Brett Eisen. Like I like Matches like this that actually, like, go out of their way to explain why a lesser wrestler, someone who is, like, obviously a lesser wrestler, who, like, throughout the course of the match is proven to be the worst of the two, I like matches that actually, like, find a way to make that person go up at the end, and it was, um, and there's definitely, like, a part of me that likes this match more by achieving that with a guy I fucking hate in Seth Rollins. Um, and then SummerSlam, they decide to run that entire idea back and have Rollins come in as this like injured babyface champion. Um, or no, not in Lesnar still has the belt. Then I think you like he you he him. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like the the injured babyface challenger, um, who everyone expects Lesnar to just steamroll right over, and instead like they have an even longer match than this, in which like he is much more competitive against the guy in ways that I don't I don't find convincing at all, that I don't find believable, that I don't find entertaining. Um, but this match, like, for, like, whatever reason, the stars aligned, and, like, this one actually did it for
1: me. Alright, so my 55 is a match that I know that you have significantly higher, but it's Kaifan versus Ultimo Carrero from, Mex- from Mexa Wrestling, February 16th.
2: Yeah, we're gonna talk about that one on night three. Alright. So, 54 for me is a match that you brought up earlier. It's a tag team match from Big Japan Pro Wrestling uh it's hideki suzuki and akira hyodo taking on yuji okabayashi and friend of the blog takuho
1: kato and i had that at 87 yeah
2: um this was just like a classic style big japan tag match something that i have sadly missed for the last couple of years something that used to be one of my favorite things in all of wrestling that sort of like took a real big dive around 2016 or so um this is a pair of veterans like a pair of good ones too like ones that i really like that i still like to this day um tagging with a pair of like beefy rookies who are more than happy to play to their role like smacking the shit out of each other and then getting totally nuked by their two more experienced opponents who then go after each other in all sorts of fun ways um sorry
1: to cut cut you off but like my favorite part about this match mm -hmm. is that Hideki approaches, like, Yuji Okabayashi with, like, all this, like, respect and everything Uh and, like, doesn't know what to approach and, like, trying to, like, take his time approaching him. Mm. And then as soon as he tags in Inkaso, he's like, oh, no, 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 fuck this. (laughs) No, 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 I'm getting the shit out of you. It's the best thing. (laughs) And to do
2: all that in, like, a pretty quick little match that I don't think was even the main event of the show uh, in front of a real appreciative quirk and crowd, like, it's the best thing. Like, you couldn't ask for something better
1: than this. Alright, number 54 is a match I believe you said earlier, but it's Kushida versus Hiroshi Tanahashi from Road to New Beginning, January 29th.
2: Yeah, I had that somewhere around the 90s.
1: Um, Yujiro Kushida started wrestling in New Japan in 2010. And he's a guy that you look at him when he came in and then what he wound up achieving by the time he was gone. Yeah, You couldn't have predicted what Kushida would have become which is really the transition from uh from like you know like the from like the depth from like the devit era um abushi 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 era guys mm. to you know the i guess like the hiromu osprey era and there really wasn't a better guy to do that you know um kushida is in the best of the super junior final in 2014 he wins the title in 2014 but he's also like Clearly can, but, but but like he's also clearly concussed and everything. Mm. Um, follows follows it up in twenty fifteen, having the match with Kyle with Kyle O'Reilly that you know became like a re- became became really famous and probably probably considered Kushida's career match up to this point. Sure. Um, twenty sixteen he do- 2016 does twenty sixteen does him because he spends he spends it twenty sixteen as the ace as the top guy in the New Japan Junior Division. Twenty seventeen he wins he wins Best of Super Juniors again and. This is this is this isn't even counting, you know. Time Splitters being such a prominent tag team in the junior division this whole time, Kushida accomplished a lot that yeah. you wouldn't have expected a guy like coming in from uh from Tajiri's company to to do.
2: Or no, he was from. I think he made the jump to All Japan at that point.
1: Well, uh, maybe. But I think like I was just like, I guess thinking like where it actually started from. Sure. Um, and then here we are at the end of the decade, right? And Kushida's done literally everything that he can do yeah. in the junior division. And this plays a part into like the reality of like Kushida's circumstance and why he wound up leaving New Japan and like the realities of like this match altogether. Yeah. Kushida wanted more to do in New Japan. Kushida has accomplished everything there was to accomplish in the junior division, and clearly the junior division was moving on from him. Uh-huh. So Kushida wanted to move on and do different things. New Japan didn't see value in Kushida in doing that and doing that with him. And Kushida's a great wrestler, but I can't say that that's wrong. Kushida is a super small guy. He's not extremely, he's not extremely charismatic. He's not a guy that's like physically, like physically imposing enough as to where it's like, mm. you know, like, okay, like, well, what's the reward of moving this guy up in a way of like, Zack Sabre Jr. is like super tall. So, that works or Hiromu Takahashi. If he, if he moves up eventually, he's an extremely charismatic guy or Kenny Omega can put on the weight. That's not Kushida in any of those things. And which leads to Kushida deciding that he's going to go on to quote unquote greener pastures and sign with WWE. This results in a press conference and tearful Kushida announcing his farewell and his last singles match against Hiroshi, Hiroshi Tanahashi, a guy that has been sort of a mentor to him. Um, new japan army to gucci the um (laughs) friends and all that stuff Mm. and this match is sort of representative of like the realities of like kushida and why he was leaving but also keeping up like the junior versus heavyweight like mystique that i think new japan does really well still i think it's like hiroshi tanahashi who's still the iwgp champion at this point and he wrestles Kushida in a very com- in, a, in a competitive way. A lot of mat work that I really enjoy here, um, turned into some leg work that Kushida sells really well. But despite how much you believe it, despite how much the crowd is into it, you don't ever believe Kushida has a chance of beating this guy. But I think mean, I think that's the magic of Kushida, right? Is that like he does he like he can pull off things that you don't exactly expect him to do, and he keeps fighting and fighting and fighting and he finds these little chinks in the armor of tanahashi and you know gets these drop kicks in, in his arm and all this stuff in these hope spots to give you that give him to give him a chance he gets his knees up on a high fly flow and he turns that into his back to the future finish that gets a really insane near fall reaction and you start to believe that Kushida maybe is worth maybe is worth the the move up to heavyweight like oh like maybe Kushida is someone that we should have should have pegged that could be more than what he is and to go along with just junior versus heavyweight tradition Hiroshi Tanahashi beats him very decisively with a cloverleaf
0: hmm.
1: and it and it goes in with the legwork up with the leg work that was defining the match yeah but Kushida didn't even get beat by the high fly flow he got beat by the clover leaf, and um, you you can say that it kind of gets like the the emotion of Kushida's farewell gets bogged down by um by Jay White coming in and her attack attacking Tanahashi during this and everything. Right. But even after this, and Kushida gets on the mic and gets to do his farewell, and the crowd just is like all over Kushida, and he gets to he shakes he has this, like this long handshake with Liger and everything as he's walking back. It's like I t- I totally get why New Japan didn't see like this future value in Kushida, but He's a he's a guy that I really do sorely miss, and I think I think this show that even if Kushida didn't have like the other aspects that made like a heavyweight run for him worth it, he's a guy that's super beloved, and I'd much rather him be in New Japan than like doing whatever the fuck in NXT.
2: Yeah, that's like kind of we talked earlier about like the fact that like this really fell down the, the my list for me. Like it was something that early early in the year like felt like a top contender, and then as I was like. Uh, constructing this list is just like fell further and further and further even after like i rewatched it um and i think a part of that is like i sort of soured on Kushida in a way that probably isn't fair to him but like watching him in nxt like having these matches with uh drew gulag and walter that i like i just disliked that like just didn't work for me at all like i think it i, I think it just kind of like put a bad note on his career on, on on this at least this part of his career and like returning to a match that like was already um kind of slow and not all that firework heavy to begin with i think it just sort of i don't know it hit me in the wrong way even if i I think this is like a well-worked match like it's um to to return to something that like we've sort of talked about before um it's a match that like does a great job like going out of its way to explain why a junior heavyweight would be able to like hold his own against the guy who just won the iwgp title like a match that like specifically, um, leans on the fact that that Tanahashi is so old and so injured, and that Kushida is this very capable grappler who uses like a variety of different limb work strategies against this guy. Um, and so like in that way, like I think it's like it's a really clever match; it's a really well worked match. But I don't know. I just w- when I watched it again recently, like it just didn't hit me the same way.
1: Do you think? Do you think some of it might be the fact that like you just completely disagree with the fact that. New Japan didn't see anything in Kushida worth, like, continuing to push him.
2: Yeah, definitely. Like, I I am, I feel like I understand why he would want to leave, and and I'm not super happy about the fact that they left, they let him leave. Um, which (laughs) it's kinda funny considering WWE and their whole shit like that, how they do that sort of thing to people, but like I I think this is I think of this as a different situation. I think like New Japan was like probably capable of giving him something that he found rewarding, and I think it's kinda shitty that they
1: didn't. Well I guess I guess I would have been like my question is like, what would Kushida have been doing just because I guess like the never would've would have would have been about it. Yeah. yeah like you know, totally. Like yeah, he I think did that in twenty fourteen. Yeah, that was, what I was gonna say. Like I think the never could have been about it. 'Cause now I'm like struggling to think of like who was like who like who would the never seen it in twenty fourteen? I think that, I think it was Ishii and Taichi him, and Kai. Right? And
2: Naido and maybe some outsiders, I don't
0: know. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um Okay, yeah, but but I but I think I think that I think that was the thing there and then like I guess like how how long after that would Kushida have then felt like stale or like he was spinning his wheels like after like maybe like a year or a year and a half like then chasing maybe him I
2: I think I don't know you could do you could make him come to return to the junior heavyweight scene and and maybe like take somebody under his wing um he's not all that old like it's not like like I think there were still things that they could do um. And maybe they'd come around eventually to be like, okay, fuck it. Like, who cares if he's not huge or super charismatic in the same way that other people are? Like, we can put him in the heavyweight scene and have him do some some basic stuff.
1: Right. I'm not saying I I agree with, like, what they did either. But, like, I totally, like, see, like, what happened there. And it's like, I I feel, it feels like whether it was, like, I don't think Kushida had, like, some wild demands. But, yeah, I I think Kushida definitely could have been, like, a never guy or whatever um right moving on now, what's your what's your 53
2: um my 53 is a trios match from your favorite company it's Chikara. it's uh the colony the team of fire ant green ant the second person to use that name and thief ant taking on uh mike quack and bush and the ugly ducklings who have dubbed themselves quack attack uh, That's coming from us uh at the first round of the king of trios tournament
1: yeah i did not see this i'll take it away
2: uh, this was just like everything that I love about Chikara, and specifically everything that I love about like King of Trios, just putting together this like kooky, like once in a lifetime sort of trios match that is like worked super well. Um, a big chunk of this is just Fire Ant versus uh, Quack, just like a singles, <laughs> like a singles meeting between those two guys, like the two. At this point, the two longest-tenured... No, not quite the two longest-tenured. Almost the two longest-tenured people in the company. um, At the very least, I think the two best people in the company. um, Getting to have, like, a singles meeting that they so rarely ever get to have. Um, And then once everybody else tags in and starts doing their thing, like, this is just, like, a classic sort of trios match um, with a bunch of people who are really good at tags and trios um, that unfolds in a really fun way as, like everybody tries to isolate fire ants, like Quack manages to tag in and and do a bunch of his big signature pile drivers on the guy trying to defeat him. Um and never manages to 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 get the job done just because the other ants keep coming in and and breaking it up. Um and it ends really fun where like uh the whole time Quack is the guy who's staying on top of Fire Ant, like the most experienced person in the match, probably the the most skilled person in the match. And as soon as like one of the ugly ducklings like come in to uh, take over for a Quack when he gets knocked out of the way, like what they get uh, caught up in a victory roll and Fire Night wins the match, like with this crazy uh, flash comeback. And it's just it's it's fun and it plays directly to this crowd and delivers on something without getting like too dramatic about it. And I just loved it.
1: All right, so this might be a little bit unconventional for us, but I'm pretty sure my my next two matches you have higher you have higher on your list so i'm gonna i'm gonna say them and you can and you can tell me but dominic Greeny versus Joshua bishop from a i w mania weekend is uh-huh. fifty three for me and david star versus mercedes martinez from october seventeenth is my fifty two uh that death match or
2: that hardcore-ish thing whatever you want to call it that is higher for me uh star versus martinez did not make the
1: list okay all right so you can you can tell me your fifty three then we'll get to david star versus martinez oh my fifty three was that colony match okay 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 um so david starvers mercedes martinez for me then is well, wow okay I'm, I'm a little shocked by that but I, I i get it though i think i think i get sure. it it's like really really bloated uh slow yeah, start definitely. Yeah, slow start um but but i like i liked it for that it felt really like they were like feeling each other out um sort of improm- impromptu dream match which like yeah look man like <laughs> look if if, he, if people really want to start, if people want to start um you know pushing Mercedes Martinez into that category then like I like I have no problem with that I think she's more than deserves it and she's more than talented enough to wa- more more than talented enough to warrant that but I really enjoy the mat work here I enjoy the slow start I enjoy how sort of like unconventional I feel like the build is um and I think this definitely could have shaved off like Five six minutes, you know, could have could have been more effective here. I think it was very very bloated, and maybe one of the first instances of watching of watching David Starr, excuse me, and being like, okay, um, this you didn't need to go this long, but all right, sure. And um, <laughs> yeah, but, but for all that being said, like I still really enjoyed the work they did here, and mm-hmm. look, I was just ecstatic to see that Mercedes Martinez just got the to, got, got to come out here for this Beyond crowd in her in her debut and just this crowd was infatuated with her and Mm. it's sort of like it's sort of a a similar thing for me like it was for like michael sadamora in 2018 where um i might not be like as like over the moon about like mercedes martinez this year as, as everyone else is as a lot of people are probably like first discovering her or first discovering how good she is Right. but i'm just but i'm glad that she's getting the recognition and getting the chances that she is long overdue just like maiko whereas like 2018 felt like this might like this maiko world run and everyone's like oh my god had a Mora. It satomora like, it's like okay well i think micah has been better but if people are really just happy that they get the that they finally recognizing this person's worth then that's more than enough for me and i'm happy about that absolutely
2: yeah like i i liked this match well enough and was very much excited for it um but, like, it did, it, it definitely, I think, um, overstepped its boundaries a little bit. Especially for a first-time matchup. Like, I understand, like, wanting to, to do as much as you can um, with the time that you've got. Especially because I assume Martinez knew that she was probably headed to the WWE at some point here. Um, but, yeah, like, I, I, I really wish... It's funny, because, like, this was on a TV show, technically, I guess. Because Un- Uncharted Territory does, like, treat itself as a TV show. But, like, I wish this was... I wish this was in like in a position where it didn't get the chance to do as much as it wanted to, that it was like confined a little bit, because I think um, Star especially is someone who works better in that environment and I think it would have done it would've done a lot of good for this.
1: Yeah, I get I could I could totally see that. Um I think I guess my defense of the length would be like twitter kind of forced this match into being what it is which is like this big big epic thing so you gotta feel like you have to like give them like get like give the crowd that i I believe i i believe that there's a lot of people that signed up for iwtv or iwtv codes in order in order to in order to watch this match so in in that respect i can see like why like this like this turns into like a near 30 minute match but like, like i like this can this can this could have easily been like 20 and probably did the exact same thing yeah you'll go ahead with with 52 51 whatever you got
2: yeah my 52 is a match that i'm not sure that you even saw it was wxw's shortcut to the top battle royal
1: uh no did not see it but i saw like clips of like the final like four or whatever mm-hmm.
2: yeah this was i love this like i it was probably the best battle royal i've seen since 2017 with the cwF rumble that year um like this was this was just like a really well worked match like you know we're going to talk about this in a big way on night three. Um, but like, you know me, I, I like matches that are like really complicated and really multifaceted, uh, that like work together as the combination of a bunch of smaller parts, like doing exactly what they need to do in this specific situation and nothing more. And that's what this felt like. This felt like a really well-booked rumble, like one of those like Pat Patterson Royal rumbles from back in the day. Um, where there's like a whole bunch of like fan favorite people here there's a whole bunch of heels like everyone does their thing there's some like debuting people who are kind of shitty they're probably the worst thing about this was like a lot of like newcomers who are like projecting their gimmick in a way that feels very forced and that doesn't result in a whole lot of like memorable stuff outside of like an entrance or two um but really the whole reason this is on my list is that like it builds and builds and builds to like a really great finish with uh uh walter and to a lesser extent Ilya Dragunov, uh like ru- ruling the roost like tossing everybody out um getting to the point where it's like just the two of them in the match throughout like the mid 20s and like everybody knew who comes in gets tossed out by walter after a couple minutes of like beating the shit out of them um and then like they run the gamut of like some big names like david star is in there um some other big baby faces from wxw's like native history are in there and it uh culminates eventually with Timothy Thatcher coming out at number thirty, um, coming in, destroying both Ilya and Walter, um, sort of like without a big struggle. Like he he does it like shockingly easily. Um, to the point that like he just applies a sleeper hole to Walter on the apron and just lets him drop to eventually win the match. Um and it was just such a wonderful thing. Like I think Timothy Thatcher is not necessarily secretly, but I think Without a whole bunch of aplomb from the usual uh, pundits, I think Timothy Thatcher is like maybe the best babyface in the world. And this was like probably the best example of that this year of him coming in um, in the situation in which everyone was like catching on to like what was going to happen and delivering exactly what this crowd wants and like soaking in their adulation and just being like such a fucking likable guy. Um, and it made it, like it made for like a really fun enjoyable match like something that like a, a feel-good match like something i didn't get a whole lot of in 2019
1: what implored you to watch this was was this a recommendation did you just see that thatcher won it and wanted to check it out like what what was the point of you watching this
2: i think specifically um i follow a lot of like wrestling photo accounts like a lot of photographers just because aesthetically i like that kind of stuff but also for my year-end list like i tend to i tend to, uh, take a bunch of, like, photos from them and cite them and and, and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I think it very literally was just, like, I saw some pictures of Thatcher being real smiley after this match, and I was like, I want to see that. Like, I want to see that happen and come to fruition. And, and lo and behold, Dick, like, it was really good.
1: All right, so reaching the end of this installment of the podcast here. Uh, and I swear to you, this is not intentional because I have re- <sighs> Oh, boy arranged this list several times and I didn't okay. realize this until today, Brock. So like okay. Walter versus Tyler Bate from AC Takeover Cardiff.
2: Ugh Okay. Um this okay. This is the one from like the fall or like the late summer?
1: Yeah. This is the same day as um Royal <sighs> Quest and All Out. Did I watch this? Do you know? Um
2: I don't know that I watched this. I have no clue, man. <laughs> um, I haven't liked them before, so it was easy for me to especially miss one that like was blowing up
1: with all the wrong people. Alright. Um Is this the best long match of all time? Oh no. God. Clearly not. Um because I am because I have, no. wa- I have watched God, no. sixty minute, forty minute, fifty minute matches that happened before this. It is not. God. Um
2: <laughs> What a dumb idea. Is it the
1: best WWE match of all time? No. No. <laughs> but look, look, here's the thing. <laughs> when I watched when I first watched it, I I, I completely acknowledge this was a really well worked match, but sure. I think what bothered me about it was more like the presentation and the encapsulation of what I hate about NXT UK is Forcing things to be more complicated than they have to be, just for the sake of like you want to th- you want to do things your own way, right? Why does Imperium versus versus British strong style have to be any more complicated than Imperium wants to take over NXT UK? Why does it have to be any more complicated than that? When instead you get Tyler Bate doing Pete Dunn in Trent Seven tribute spots, what instead you get is Tyler Bate being on being on the middle rope and Nigel insisting on going on on about him fighting for the honor of NXT UK and it it does it just does too much in a way that takes takes away from the fact that it's Tyler Bate and Walter a guy that I've really a guys that I've really enjoyed in the past working together going out there and having a match that ideally like I should really be into but the presentation takes me out of it so I rewatched it again with Deta- with like you know a little bit more of, of, of detached eyes I purposely tried and tried to not try to watch it without paying him up paying, paying too much mind to the commentary or presentation and it's a really well-worked match man it's, it's Tyler Bate going out there and they're really playing up the size stuff obviously Tyler Bate does the big strong boy thing in an ironic way and sometimes that comes back to bite him in the ass something that I really enjoyed about his, about his 2018 work versus Walter and Sakimoto and True here he is like you using that size and that turns into him like doing like these like short uppercuts and throwing his body at walter in in, in cool ways uh walter going for a scoop slam and bait just clinging to his body which, which i think is a, it's such a it's such a great spot really? um when bait does get this big power slam on on walter it do, it do, it, do, it does feel like an actual moment and not this just Pant, like pandering thing because of the big strong boy nickname. Sure, it's slow building. It's nasty. It's mean. It's a valiant performance by, by Bate who sells the concept of exhaustion really well. Um, it's uh, this, it's so hard to talk about this because like the talk about this match is so hyperbolic, right? Yeah, is man. that you can't talk about this match and everyone and everyone's like best WWE match of all time, blah blah blah, blah. and like it makes me not even want to have it on my list, but right. it's so hard to watch this match, at least for me and see what these guys did there. And just not, in, not admire the work it's really well laid out. I can see maybe it's you know, like, I can see maybe saying it drags on a lot, but I don't think it gets super near fall heavy. I don't get, I don't think it gets nauseating in that regard. I think it stays relatively tasteful in terms of like, um not going overboard with what they, what, what they consider to be of, of what they consider King's road to be. But like, like I said, man, this is a really well worked match. It had a lot of hyperbole behind it, but on my second viewing, this was too good for me to not have on my list.
2: I guess, yeah.
1: <laughs>
2: like I, 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 don't think I even gave this one a, a chance. Like I, I, I didn't like what these guys did together in 2018, and and putting that into an NXT UK situation
1: yeah, where yeah. It was even longer and. You know, look, 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 man! This match pissed me off. Like when I first saw it, it was because <laughs> I fucking hate NXT UK. Like, like, sure. like i I despise, I despise everything that it is, yeah. but it's like I, yeah. I, I I think at the end of the day still, like between guys like Walter and bait and Ono and sometimes Illlya and wolf, it's like in spite of this being a overwhelmingly fake t v show like it can like they can spawn really good matches sometimes, and sometimes. you know <laughs> i hate I hate that this match in particular became the one people got so hyperbolic about, but like yeah. Like, but it's it's. It, I think it's worth at least giving a shot at some point. Yeah, I might.
2: Uh, but instead, we're gonna end on uh, what I think is a much better British match. Um, or you said that was in Cardiff, I guess
1: Welsh. Yeah, or... yeah, yeah, Cardiff. But I think um, Britain, all that, all that shit. Oh, the United Kingdom. United Kingdom. My, oh, yeah. my bad.
2: Uh uh a match that you don't have on your list based on what you were talking about earlier. It's uh Jordan Brakes taking on Dana Makabe in a British Rounds match from Riptide's Wrestling Brighton Spirit Weekend.
1: I do not, but really awesome match.
2: Yeah. Um This is the second of several British Rounds matches that made my list. Uh, there was twenty nineteen was weirdly rife with them. Um and this was like this was one of the ones that was not worked by someone who is actually like directly a student of that style but i think it it did better than the average like tribute match um as far as like playing up that style and playing up like specific uh, specific aspects of that style in a really fun way um in particular breaks plays to like the natural humor of the world of sports stuff like like being real cheeky and, and and like nodding to his friends and whatnot and like slipping slipping free of holds and um uh, exasper- uh, exasperating like this this outsider this foreigner from from Canada um, and forcing Dan to like pull out all sorts of like fun little tricks that he again would just like slip free of uh, and that escalates over time like over five or six rounds of a British rounds match like in a real natural way that eventually leads to Makabe a guy who everybody was hunky-dory about at the beginning of the match eventually turning heel um, in a very believable way, in in drawing a whole bunch of ire from this Brighton crowd, uh, and taking it to breaks in a real vicious way in the final like th- uh, I think round or two, maybe maybe even less than that of this match, um, and it was it was great. It was just like a whole bunch of like talented. It was a whole bunch of like great grappling from a pair of talented guys. Uh, breaks someone who I'd never seen before, who really won me over in this one match that builds that builds in a fun way that made me root against someone who I've known for years and eventually supplied that person going down in a fun way. And it was, it was just a lot of like, it, it was, it was everything I could ask for in, in like a grappling match of this
1: kind. You know, some, something that I really enjoy about, you know, like the, I guess like the pure world, world of sports style that we got in, that we got in the seventies is that idea of, guys being totally like even like even tempered or whatever mm. in the early stages and as the match goes on just like through competitive frustration, it's like, all right, uh-huh. all right, fuck this, gloves off, like cheap shots, yeah. whatever. Like I'm I'm here to win now. And like, yeah, like I like Dan displayed that just as well as anyone else could have. And like what do you uh, what else do you expect from a guy that's like a student of like all of that shit. Just like yeah. uh, like total nerd. Yeah, like so I definitely I definitely get it. And you are uh, sucker for British Rounds matches. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I pretty, much, pretty much understand it. Probably, like, my third favorite gimmick in wrestling? Yes, behind Last Man Standing and Royal Rumbles. Got it.
2: Well, oh, no, I was going to say Last Man Standing and Dog Collar <laughs> Oh, Okay. Not
1: not a fan of a four-corner strap match or whatever, no.
2: No, not that kind. Not the fucking the touch the corners, that's <laughs> shit. But just a dog collar of, like, two people <laughs> chained to each other? That's awesome.
1: All right. But, uh, I mean, that'll, that'll be it for us on, uh, on this installment. Uh, Brock, you were incorrect. We let them going just as yeah. long as uh, we usually do.
2: Yeah, I thought 2019's doldrums were going to make us go short, but
1: nope. This is still a full-fledged episode. All right, so thank you all for listening, and hopefully you're going right to episode two. So see you guys, see you guys next time.